buzzing around like a fly. I'll finish you off with a double Zeta gun. Hey! You're listening to the show that brings a point to your ear, like Leonard Nimoy. That's right, Gundam at MAHQ. And this is Lucky Number Episode 13, and in this episode we're going to be talking about our take on the first four episodes of Macross Frontier, now that it's starting its broadcast launch. Um, we're also going to get into um, our favorite captains of all time when it comes to um, mecha anime shows and related anime shows as well. And last but not least, we're going to start our introduction to Mobile Suit Gundam and its franchise by starting with the pivotal series itself, the series that started it all, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam. Part of our new Gundam Roundup series that Indeed. we've added along with... Um, uh, the Anime strong, Spotlight? Um, yeah, yeah, Anime there you go. Spotlight. Draw um, a blank on that one. Sorry, folks. <laughs> Sorry, but folks. Be- before we kick off this episode, we definitely got to get into um, something that... Um, Originally, this episode, we were actually going to get into um, our discussions on Mobile Suit Gundam Double O, but we had a little bit of a mishap. But uh, also, I'd like to introduce us. Um, I'm Sober Overview, and also with us here is... Neil Lorno, okay. and, and of course... Uh, good old Chris. And um, by all means, Chris, you can let everybody know about what uh, the developments that have happened over the last few days. Well, basically, this is, this is the more like the cursed episode 13, and uh, <laughs> basically, uh, the very least of it, I screwed up. Uh, so you, oh. you all see we were running a bit behind on episode 13, so we actually had episode 13 and 14 fully recorded, mm-hmm. but it went on for a ginormously long amount of time. Yeah. You know, usually we have our files that we upload to the internet, and uh, Solbro diligently edits them to create the internet magic that you hear every time an episode is released. But uh, unfortunately, I had thought that I had uploaded my files, but it turns out that I didn't. Oh. And when we went to record episode 14 on uh, the last Sunday which was April something, 27th, <laughs> the 27th. I went and deleted my files for episode 13 because I thought he had them. And I should have been I should have been more forthcoming with saying <laughs> I, I I had or hadn't had them at the time. So it was yeah, it, it, I don't take all the blame on that one. I'm just as much to blame on that. No blame on me. However, <laughs> as we were discussing this on the phone the other day, this might be a blessing in disguise because we spent such a disgustingly long amount of time talking about Double O that um, we realized that some changes were in, were in order for episode reviews. So you will see starting in the episode 14, when we review Double O again, uh, we're going to be trying to cut down on some extraneous stuff and do things a little bit more organized so that we can get through the plots of the shows rather quickly so that we can spend more time on analysis and yeah. discussion. So here's what's actually happening with these Frankened up Frankenstein episodes. <laughs> Originally, we were going to have in uh, episode 13 uh, our discussion of Double O, as well as the Double O Halftime Awards that we uh, posted on MAHQ forum, Mecha Talk. And then we were going to get into the first segment of Gundam Roundup with um, Mobile Suit Gundam. And then in episode 14, we were going to do uh, Macross Frontier, the greatest mecha captains of all time, and then Anime Spotlight Zeta Gundam. So given this whole mix-up, to prevent us from falling even further behind, we sort of are uh, repurposing things. So what you're hearing as episode 13 is actually two-thirds of episode 14, along with a re-recording of the anime spotlight for MSG. So in episode 14, you will hear uh, the re-recording of our double O reviews, 
um, Life for Zeta, which we actually recorded already a week before, and then some other segment, uh, the halftime show, and what the hell, we're probably going to be discussing the Iron Man movie, because it's awesome, and why the hell not? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we're talking to you, Robert Downey. But it, but if you don't care about that explanation, and you just want to hear Gundam, well, this is episode 13. So. There you go. There you go. Yeah, so getting to the unlucky episode 13, I'll turn it over to Neo now for another uh, jaw-biting edition of Neo's News. <laughs> <laughs> jaw-biting. I didn't know that, that I put that type of pain on people. but um. Maybe. Maybe we all do. Maybe it's a pain for everyone to hear our voices every few weeks. <laughs> But um, you know, a little bit of um, a little bit of news here. This is going to be kind of uh, a rehash of what the original episode thirteen news is. So if it sounds a little dated, then guys, don't hate too much on the forums. But a um, couple quick things, especially with Double uh, O. Uh, I guess when Volume Three came out in Japan, it did pretty well, being the fifth uh, number five on the overall DVD chart and uh, number one on their anime DVD chart. So um, it's doing very well in Japan. And I guess we'll find out later on when we hit episode 14, uh, you know, how well it's doing. So uh, good, good stuff there. Um, also, I know that I have this, and I doubt my number is included on here, but the, the Gundam 00DS uh, first week sales, it, it came in uh, number three overall in Japan uh, with over 49,000 copies sold. So... Uh, as somebody that's uh, played the game, I definitely encourage any uh, any of the English-speaking or American or European people, you know, that listen to Gundam or what like Double O to uh, see if you can get this game. Uh, definitely a fun little game to have, and uh, there's many places that you can go to get it. So if you have any questions or anything or, or drawing up a blank, just uh, send us something on the forums and we'll let you know. More game news. I know that we talked about this in one of the earlier episodes. There's going to be a game called The Battle of Sunrise with a lot of the uh, Sunrise mecha heroes and uh, Sunrise Interactive put up the official site and it's got some cool stuff on there. It's got some of the gameplay vids on there. I checked it out not too, too long ago. It looked pretty good, but some of the stuff is still looks like it's in testing a little bit and there's some wallpapers there and they're, and they're continuous updating it so nice. all those looking forward to that game uh, definitely check it out mm -hmm. and I, I know that there's going to be a release of Gundam Operation Troy in June 26th in Japan Chris really quick what what would that be for everybody uh, Operation Troy that's the off delayed yeah. <laughs> mobile ops the one year war which was announced way back in like 2006 that's the 360 game it, yeah okay sort of mysteriously vanished after Crossfire came out on the PS3 and was a disgusting uh, abomination of a game mm -hmm. so I don't know if uh, they just spent time redeveloping this game or something because I mean this game was announced a long time ago and it's very unusual for a Gundam game to fall off the radar for so long yeah for, for a while there, I was wondering if the game was just canceled but that, me too now it's back and if you all didn't know about the game back when it was originally announced in 2006, it's basically a Gundam version of Battlefield. Yeah, that's pretty much what it is. Yeah. With ground combat, uh, jumping into tanks, airplanes, mobile suits, that sort of thing. Uh, but like Crossfire, it's sort of a more gritty, realistic interpretation of the one-year war. Uh, to the point that, you know, to try to make it marketable in America, they're dumping the Gundam game with, uh, you know, the whole mobile ops you know anything with ops must be intriguing to like military shooter fanboys they're definitely getting tricked into buying them yeah <laughs> so uh i guess the release date in japan is june 26th of this year so uh, it doesn't ha i don't have any information on when it's going to be coming in america hopefully 
Maybe by Christmas might be good. It might be nice thing to find under uh, under the Christmas tree. Definitely keep an eye on it. Or not. not. Because, you know, disappointment does follow Gundam sometimes, unfortunately. Sometimes? <laughs> Gundam games disappointing? Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> well, are you serious? <laughs> I know it's a shocker, but please, oh, you know, I, I, I know I've shocked you, Chris. Please sit down the next time. I'll warn you. <laughs> I'll warn you when I do those little zingers about. Please, please do. I might have. I might have a heart attack about over this <laughs> Gundam game being bad. You might need the Tony Stark pacemaker to keep you alive. I, I think I will. <laughs> if it means, if it means I get a cool battle suit, then hell yeah. Right Definitely. on. Right. Cool battle suit. Cool cars and uh, lots of hot women. Nice looking secretary. Secretary. That's yeah, true. exactly. Yeah, I just, Man. I just gotta be wary of uh, bridges hanging around. <laughs> yeah. well, like, activate the, activate the, the stripper pole in the Learjet. Yeah. <laughs> hey, let's save that for episode fourteen. But, oh, uh, that's classic. Uh, the man, the man knows how to outfit his equipment. Heck yes, yes. Definitely, <laughs> definitely. He's not a genius. Anyway, he's a genius but, for uh, good reason. Back to some great Gundam <laughs> news on the uh, also on the Double O website. They've updated a couple of the Mecha outlines for the Natalie, the Alvator, and the Alvaron. I guess cool. the Alvator and Alvaron are the mobile the mobile armor and the mobile suit. Those hideous gold <laughs> things that uh, <laughs> that the uh, the creepiest guy of them all, Alejandro Corner, was Ooh, uh, doing man. at the end of episode twenty five. Spoiler alert, folks. Um, but um, Finally, uh, some more information on some game news would be the um, the Gundam vs. Gundam uh, game. I can't some, wait for that. Yeah, there's some information that's going to be posted on the Japanese boards. Unfortunately, that means they're going to be in Japanese. Of but course. Really? I'm sure that... <laughs> 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 well, I'll be a captive obvious there. It's just like when people ask people at the theme parks up here, what time is the 4 o'clock parade? This is true. But... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, ma'am. What time is the four o'clock parade? I think it's at four o'clock. <laughs> By the way, I think we had mentioned this because it was news when we originally recorded episode 13 about Double uh, O being licensed, which yeah. is no longer news now. But we might as well just mention it for the sake of posterity. Yeah, I was gonna kind of, I was gonna kind of say, save that, but I'm gonna finish up here on the Gundam vs. Gundam. Uh, there's some stuff that they're they're updating like once a month, I guess, until the game comes out. I'm sure some of the translations will be online. They've already done two of them. Uh, they came out on April 14th and May 7th. Uh, there's one coming up on uh, June 2nd, followed up with July 7th, August 4th, and September 1st. So there's going to be some information. Usually, they're speculating a lot of it's going to be about some of the secret playable units awesome. and some other cool stuff that they're adding to the game elements. But please, um, please God, come out I, here on the 360. I will. Um, I will go into the old episode 14 um, news because this is kind of like the hybrid version of um, of a Gundam podcast. Bandai Entertainment licensed Gundam Double Zero. Uh, it's been announced on GundamOfficial.com. And don't have any too much more uh, information on that, but it was a little surprising, uh, you know, because it kind of came out of nowhere to an extent. Because I didn't think they were personally, I didn't think they were going to uh, announce license it for a while. I thought they would eventually do it, but I didn't think it was uh, gaining that much um, buzz around here. But especially in the shadow of all the Code Geass promotions they've been doing, it's it's, I'm glad to hear it got licensed. Hopefully, it carries over. That and. I guess the whole thing with um, Destiny. So yeah, true. Uh, I guess you know, that, I don't know, but we'll definitely um, pass on more information about uh, updates when it comes to launch date or you know release dates, uh, voice casts or whatever. Um, hopefully by the time that we finish episode 14, 
uh, there'll be some more information on there. So we'll, Gundam is definitely your place for Gundam 00 information. So, <laughs> uh, And of course, uh, all my news is always courtesy at the fine folks at Gunnetta or Gunoda. So uh, with that, I'll just give it back to old Solbro so we can begin this up. And we get down and dirty in our first segment in just a moment. You're listening to Gundam at MAHQ. Striking out on finding your favorite manga, anime, or series merchandise nearby or online? Lost when it comes to finding pop music from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian markets? Well then, Florida Oriental Trading is here to help. If you live in the Central Florida area, head on over to the intersection of Colonial Drive and Mills Avenue near downtown Orlando. You'll find FOT right next to the CVS Pharmacy. For those who live abroad, find out more about our favorite store online at FloridaOrientalTrading.com or call them directly at area code 407-895-0650. FOT carries a large selection of merchandise such as art books, t-shirts, posters, wall scrolls, soundtracks, PVC figurines, models, and much, much more. Also, it's a great place to find imports of your favorite musical artists and the latest films from Japan, Hong Kong, and other Asian countries. Last but not least, Florida Oriental Trading is not only home to the best selection of anime on DVD in Central Florida, but there you'll find a wide variety of manga too. On top of that, all of their manga is always priced at 20% less than retail, daily. 20%. That's right, Frank. 20%. Florida Oriental Trading is open every day except Wednesdays from 10 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You even find them open most holidays. So if you're local, stop on by and visit Quan and Debbie or give them a call at area code 407-895-0650 and give them the business. Tell them Gundam at MAHQ sent you. Did you order the code red? Goddamn right I did! Gundam, this is Chris, and for this segment we're going to be talking again about Macross Frontier, which is currently airing in Japan. A few episodes ago we looked at the special Deculture version of the first episode that aired around Christmas time, and now the show is regularly broadcasting is a few episodes in, so we're going to be reviewing this show every few episodes just like we did with Double O. So we're going to start with the broadcast version of episode one, which has a few new scenes as well as some scenes removed, and then we're going to jump into the new stuff that was in episodes two through four. So before we get into... Uh, the differences. You guys have any comments on uh, what you thought of the broadcast version of episode one? I liked it a lot more than the other one, actually. Did, did you really? I mean, yeah, I actually did. I mean, there's a. I I, I like the additional scenes that they showed, but um, I like I like the um. I just think there was um the 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 culture was it a the culture edition the the, the original preview the culture you got it the um the original preview release was just a bit more movie like this one you know. We had we had a opening theme which I liked a lot, and the opening sequence is awesome. And then the additional scenes kind of gave you kind of more behind the scenes look of what was going on with the whole um, with with the whole uh, concert that was going to be planned. And I, I thought that was really cool. But um, I, I I'd have to say I liked the, the culture edition just a bit better. I like the other one, the new one, because it it 
it got to the point quicker. Oh man, you all about you're I'm all about the points. All about curtain the points. And as for me, um, I don't have any opinion because uh, I don't need to since the Yaku Day Culture Edition is coming out soon on video, which will be both combined. So oh, okay. I had a feeling. There you go. Um, one new change that was in the uh, first episode that I liked was the way they redid part of the concert mm -hmm. because in the DeCulture version it was kind of lame. It's sort of like Alto and, and his buddies, they were just kind of flying cameramen, not really doing anything. Yeah. But here he does that corkscrew of his and screws it up yeah. and ends up uh, grabbing Cheryl and flying through the air with her while she's singing. So that sort of gives them more of a establishes more of a personal connection that we see expounded upon in episodes two and beyond. So I think that worked. You know, some other scenes are showing some more about her and them. And uh, that first episode, they, they just really make her come across as a bitch. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hi highly so. And on top of that, I noticed that um, there was a role reversal. And there's a role reversal in the show. Now that you got to see more of her. She's more like um, she's more like Misa Hayase, although she's the pop diva. While, um, while uh, what's her name? Um, Ronka is more like Lin May. I mean, obviously. But she's not the pop diva at all. Although you can see that there that might actually ha come, you know, it might actually come to pass in the series, as like the credits kind of allude to and the opening kind of alludes to too. And on top of that, we got to see more of Catherine Glass, who I don't even recall seeing in the first. Um, she was there. The, the culture edition at all, maybe in passing, but she didn't really. She was there. She was there. She just, she was she just, just really limited. Yeah. Yeah, she just didn't say much or you know have much of a presence. She had she had a few scenes, Man. but she didn't get you know talked down to like she yeah. did in the. Uh, the broadcast version that was that was a new scene um they talk some more about about uh, alto's background and the way they tease him because mm -hmm. we see that he's uh, he comes from a kabuki family yeah yeah so they kind of hinted that in the first episode whereas in the de culture it's just based more off of his looks whereas here you find out it's not just his looks but his family background yeah that was that was really kind of interesting because it shows you part of why he's um kind of the way he is he's he, you know he rebelled against his family because he was supposed to be uh an actor and following their footsteps but you know he quit and joined that academy to learn how to fly so probably to rebel against you know just like you said to rebel against his family but now maybe i mean do you think his intentions were um were pure of joining and want to become a pilot or you just think he did it to just rebel no, i 100%? think percent i'm sure he's he, he, both yeah you know? i mean a lot of it is he wants to fly because that one thing where he's He's flying up in the sky after he takes off in that in the suit, and he's like, it's it's, and he almost runs into the billboard. He's <laughs> like, you know, I can't go high enough. I can't go high enough. So well, it's like he said, yeah, the, made the him, sky stops at two thousand meters. Yeah, that's true. And he didn't seem like so, as much of a slacker. Like he seemed like kind of a slacker in the first one. Yeah, and it didn't really make sense. But this one, you see, he's a little bit more driven. That and his fondness for paper airplanes. Make a pay, man can make one with the quickness. Man, this guy in paper airplanes is kind of like like bright and cheeseburgers. Yeah, yeah. There you go. everybody's got their fetish. Some stranger than others. <laughs> wow, it's that exactly. So, any other comments on episode one no. broadcast version? It was it was very intriguing just to see the time that they had for additional scenes. I, I I didn't expect anything new. I expected things to be taken out, and that was it. It was a nice surprise to watch that first episode. It was worth watching. Well, there were some of the things that they took out, like Cheryl's uh, passenger shuttle coming out of. Yeah. Uh, fold and then that whole sweeping view of the frontier fleet that's gone yep. one change that i don't mind that they made is remember that in the deculture version they sent out a bunch of ghost fighters to investigate the enemy and then they all got blown away yeah and then new u.n spacey sends out its fighters yeah. so by not showing the ghost thing it sort of makes it a little bit more suspenseful because you don't know yet quite what these things are and they keep the support longer yeah that's true yeah i noticed that too i, I noticed that that whole 
that whole initial fight was seemed a lot shorter than what it was in the original showing. You know, I think they did a good job with both versions, and uh, I'll just be glad to see the the final version when it comes out. And since it's going to run 32 minutes, makes me wonder if there might still be even more new things in there. Wow. Well, that's episode one, the broadcast version, Close Encounter. So moving on, we have episode two, Hard Chase. So one of you guys want to jump in with this one? Oh, Neo, this is all you right here. What? Oh, man. You remember when you we talked about oh. the show before, about all the similarities of um, oh, yeah. this is the original series? And then we watched it this morning. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, so we got what basically um, at the end of the first episode, Alto gets into the Valkyrie and starts fighting the uh, the monster. And then um, and this, this is just t- starts off with a continuation of that. And what is it? He uh, he's doing all right yeah, against he's, he's, it. He's doing all sorts of stunts. Yeah, going he's down doing there, all going types of stunts. Then he sees Ranka and he picks her up. Rich, that was kind of cool to show how delicate it is to you have to be with the controls to pick up somebody. Usually in all these uh, mecha shows, it's just like they move the lever or, or move the joystick, and oh, there he goes. But that one, he had to like. I, m- I remember seeing that where he's like trying to be very careful not to crush her. And yeah, uh, that was a nice touch. Yeah, that was really cool. I I, I thought that was really neat because uh, every mecha show, it's just like here we go, move the joystick this way, oh, pick you up, no problem. <laughs> or just slam it really hard in one direction seems to yeah. be you know the prevailing thing. Yeah. Especially in Gundam, just you know press the the <laughs> joystick really hard in one direction and that does what you need to do. The pick up person <laughs> button, pick up person. Yeah. Yeah. Then we have that pretty cool chase scene uh, down the highway and stuff, Ooh. which was reminiscent of the original show but man that thing just i mean it it looked incredible with all the visuals and all that stuff going on he's blasting up the side of that building that was pretty cool and then uh, what is it he um he loses he's fighting that monster and it blows off one of his arms and i guess that shot that blew off the arm put a hole in the dome yeah so then you know she she was in the arm so she's floating up and that was a nice take of uh, reinventing the old, um, you know, Rick, uh, uh, Minmay, you know, little s- saving there yeah. with. Uh, you mean Hikaru? Oh, Hikaru. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I came close to saying, uh, I came close to saying Lisa Hayes earlier. It's like, oh, wait a minute. Misa Ayase. Old habits die hard. They sure do. I understand. So, yeah, I know. Just got to make sure so that some of those. Uh, Wacko fanatics don't jump on us. Oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta untrain yourself. You must unlearn what you have learned. <laughs> but uh, I will. But yeah, that was cool. And you know, doing that whole thing of she's flying out in the um, out in the space. Then he uh, Alto ejects out of there and uses the exosuit to basically go and save her and everything. And then you, later on, you get hit with the revelation that she's. Uh, what is she? One quarter. Yeah, one quarter is in Trotty. One quarter is in Trotty. Yeah. I, 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 we were watching. And I was like, I bet she's, I bet she's in Trotty, man, or at least some part of in because of her hair color. Uh, granted, that it could have been just an aesthetic, but then sure enough, that turned out to be the case. Well, usually, at least in Macross, most people who do have green hair are Zentradi, so they've been, they've been pretty consistent with that. That's that's yeah. cool, and I was, I'm glad they, glad they stuck with it instead of throwing a monkey wrench and everything. You look at people like Milia. Uh, gold, mm-hmm. you know they pretty much any person you see that's has green hair and macross is usually Zentradi, so that they, that's some consistency there. Very true. Or they have those pointy elf ears. And uh, uh, speaking of which, just someone in the intro of the show that does. Um, I, I don't think we've been introduced to that character yet. Maybe we have. I think uh, I think we'll, we'll be talking about her later, actually. But anything else about the second episode? Well, I mean, moving on, I guess it would be the second half of the second episode as well. Yeah, we've got you know Alto rescues Renka and accidentally cops a feel because Kuki in the cockpit. <laughs> that's right. And he sort of 
of uh, runs off before she can say thank you. And it's uh, one nice touch is when uh, he's going through the city and, and he sees how wrecked everything is. He just starts puking on the floor, which I think is a pretty good reaction for someone like him who has just been in, in battle yeah. for the first time. And it was something he wasn't expecting to do. Yeah, everything kind of hit him at once. And, I, you know, he, he saw that. And I guess he probably thought back to the uh, old Gilliam. The Howard Mason of um, of Macross Frontier of uh, of Macross Frontier, <laughs> a guy who gets remembered more for being dead than for being alive. Oh, oh yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so of course, um, you know there are consequences, and they come to arrest him for for piloting the VF twenty five, and they say like, hey, you know, either go to jail or or join the military, which seems like a those aren't really great choices, and it's like, wait a second, I've seen this before. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's at least it happened in Super Robot Wars. It happens happened at at least one other show that I've seen. Yeah, yeah, it's the same thing. But it was interesting though too because they, before they did that, they took his blood, and I guess they took Ronka's blood too. And I guess it's because being in contact with the monsters, like, there must be something that we don't know yet of what happens to human blood when they get in contact. So. Well, I would imagine it's probably more procedure of coming in t- contact with an alien and testing to see if there's anything weird with you. Yeah, very true. After that. But one thing that we do notice in this episode is that um, these these monsters, uh, these Vajra, they respond to uh, Ranka. Yeah. When she's singing, when she's screaming, they somehow there's, there's obviously a connection between their behavior we also see that Alto's buddies are actually SMS pilots. Yeah, yeah, that was interesting. Really kind of surprising. And Mikhail is sort of like the Mac since he's the, the sniper ace with the blue Valkyrie. He doesn't wear glasses in the suit, amazingly. He does wear the psych scope, though, but I, that, yeah. other than that. Yeah. I was, I was watching the episode. I was like, is that Mikhail? Because, you know, you don't see with his glasses on, but you do see him with a little sight on, and he's got the blue suit. And it's like, I, I, predi- I thought he was going to be the Max of the show, but sure enough, I, I was wondering why why the heck is he and the other um the other shorter guy I forget his name uh, Luca Luca thank you why they're in Valkyries and 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 uh, Alto has no business being in one yeah and um of course we find out what happened you know they've been in the forces for a while now just secretly and interestingly he's also a playboy just like Max as we saw from the broadcast version of episode one yeah he was hitting on some girls and like uh, accidentally accidentally confusing them for Cheryl yeah. <laughs> He played that through well. Uh, that was hilarious. And that was nice. That was that was one of the uncut scenes from uh, one of the um, new scenes in the in the first episode too. That, that was that was really awesome to see him just a little side of him like that. I didn't think he'd be as um as laid back as that. And it's interesting to see uh, Alto get his first correction. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, that's right. When he says to to Ozma like, "Hey, let me uh l- let me pilot a, a Valkyrie," and Ozma just like looks at him and punches him in the face. <laughs> yeah. And this is where also we find out that SMS is a military contractor. Yeah. Because, uh, well, that was that was revealed in the first episode. Okay. I thought they went into more in, uh, on this one, though. Because I remember her brother kind of explaining it to him. I guess that's maybe why. I, I guess I picked it up more on this one. By the way, did you guys spot uh, the uh, not-so-subtle homage to uh, Macross 7? Which one? Um, with the, When uh, what was thing it? with Alto and he's driving around like a maniac. Yeah. Uh, Firebomber's playing in the radio. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't know that. I didn't notice at all. I, I'm not, I haven't seen any of Fire, Macross 7. I need. I really need to check out the soundtrack though, because I heard it was really good. And you got the old, uh, what is it, the the uh, skeleton bull squadron, the skull squadron thing on top of his car. Oh yeah, that was kind of funny. <laughs> so if they're playing Fire Bomber in the show, there's a good chance we might hear some um, 
some Sharon Apple in this show, maybe. That's possible because back in Macross 7, they used to play uh, Sharon Apple music in the background occasionally. So I guess they just do that as, as a uh, constant homage between every series. Yeah. Uh, one thing mm-hmm. that was interesting at the end of this episode is how we have um, Cheryl looking for Alto and she runs into uh, Ranka. Yeah. But she's in disguise the way Min May disguises herself with a hat and sunglasses. Yeah. And it's kind of interesting, um, you know, hearing Ranka talk to Cheryl about how she wants to be like Cheryl. And, you know, then Cheryl just surprises her by revealing herself and singing along with her and basically saying like you know go for your for your dream and, uh, then they both coincidentally run into alto which leads us oh. to episode three on your marks there's a vajra mecca this red lava trying to attack the dome yeah. so they run into an emergency shelter yep. in classic macross fashion yeah. lockdown and uh they're sort of stuck together in <laughs> lockdown and um, oh yeah by the way it's not connected to anything either <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't connected to the rest of the colony or the well, ship. Well, sucks for them, but uh, it certainly works for yeah. Alta when he gets a nice little fan service view of uh, Cheryl Topless. Oh yeah. Oh man, and then the, it, the little joke later when um was it Ronka pulls out the um the two little the buns that look like breasts anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and they all start busting out laughing. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny though the buns but I'm thinking to myself man this must be a pretty damn flimsy dress if uh, oh I know you know you, you trip and then something like half of it falls down and your boobs are spilling out that's what I'm saying <laughs> I don't know what kind of dress that is better sue you Taylor something a little <laughs> bit stronger a uh, little bit stronger material or something now, that's a warp job malfunction. I take it. It's, I think it's definitely not 100% cotton. <laughs> so some other interesting things in this episode. We find out that uh, Ozma is Ranka's brother, yeah. which look pretty obvious because they don't look like. anything alike. Yeah. And when you look at him, he doesn't look to have any Zentron features at all. That's yeah. what I was thinking too. And uh, she had a flash of a, you know, a flashback of a Vajra Mecha destroying something, and you know that's when. Uh, Ozma explains to Alto that, uh, you know, her family was killed and he sort of took her in and that he feels guilty about being a, not being able to defend people. And uh, we see that Alto wants to get into SMS and find out more right. about the Vajra, but uh, Ozma basically tells him, like, you know, once you find out, there's no turning back. And uh, there was this kind of weird scene. Did you guys think it was kind of weird, the uh, the funeral for Gilliam? Yeah. Yeah. What was the whole story about um, them using him as fuel? Yeah, I got like a whole Soylent Green vibe from that. I don't know what's up with yeah, that. Yeah, me, me too. It's like, is, that how, is that how people's bodies are used? I don't know. In, in the show? In maybe in space, uh, you know, if you have limited resources, you know, there, there are valuable elements that make up a human body so maybe they grind people up yeah. and use the elements in their bodies for fuel I don't know it's just kind of creepy yeah it yeah. was real creepy but a little the, weird. the whole kind of vibe though is kind of creepy especially when every time you get with uh, you having the scenes with uh, Kathy and and even with her um, who is the guy that's messing with her they, they, they si- Leon. Leon, that creepy, creepy-looking guy, yeah. the assistant to the, uh, the the president, right? Yeah, the liaison. Who is her dad? Who is her dad? Yeah, who is her dad? It's like and oh, that's wow, another th- another Misa say um, uh, homage right there. Well, there's there's a whole. Uh, it, I was just getting a whole dark kind of vibe. Like there's a bigger secret to the whole frontier colony. Yeah, and that's further you know reinforced by that whole thing of using his body for fuel. It's, uh. And that guy Leon just strikes me as really creepy. And as I put in my review, he yeah. seems shady as all get out. And I can't wait to see what his um what his grand scheme might be if he's Uh-oh. actually being played to that degree. But he's uh, shacking up with the boss's daughter. On top of that, oh, you you know that that's a relationship of convenience on oh, his yeah. part. And personally, I did not need to see him. T- 
tonguing her. Yeah. Ooh. I did not need to see that creepy looking guy sticking his tongue out and it's like, oh, that's the kind of fan service I don't want. Yeah, he's kind of creepy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he might he might actually end up being creepier in the end than old Alejandro from yeah, Double O. He sets off my creepy spider sense. Yo. <laughs> Just like Alejandro does. He, he propped her up on the desk all over the documents, man. I, I got to give him props, man. He, he knew the second that work was up, man. <laughs> It's like, oh, work ended 30 seconds ago. I was like, you can call me Leon. <laughs> One thing uh, I did like about uh, mm-hmm. the funeral scene was the juxtaposition of, you know, this really small funeral for Gilliam mm-hmm. versus, you know, the full military honors for the UN pilots that got killed. Yeah. And how Ozma tells Alto that, you know, when a uh, contractor dies, it's just treated as an accident and they don't get any honors. They don't get buried in a military mm-hmm. cemetery. Their family never finds out what happens to them. And it's, you know, just sort of shows what sort of a hard life. Yeah. It almost makes you wonder how and why they even do it. That's true. I mean, so. uh, it makes you wonder what you know, what the benefits are. I mean, granted, they do it for, um, they, they have their own personal reasons as to why they're mercenaries. I mean, in a sense. Oh, UN Spacey looks pretty crappy. So. Yeah. They're definitely needed. And, um, End of this episode, we have another scene with uh, Ranka and Alto sort of deepening the connection with them where, you know, she's singing and, you know, she's talking about how she doesn't want anybody to, you know, hear her singing. And he basically tells her, like, hey, if you have a dream, you should you should go for it. And which is the same thing that Cheryl told her earlier. Yep. And we end with another homage with Ranka applying for the Miss Macross Frontier contest, which leads us to episode four, which amazingly is titled yes. Miss Macross. We had to, we had to come to this point somewhere. So actually I went into this episode with a little bit of uh, trepidation because, <laughs> you know, <laughs> while I like all the homages, it's sort of like, wow, I hope they're not just going to keep doing mm-hmm. like everything from the original series. As much as I like the homages, yeah. you know, there's, a fine line between homage and then just rip off. Yeah. Yeah. Was Neil's voice echoing in your ear? <laughs> yeah, did you it's hear like, my voice going like, to the back it. of your brain? I don't want to hear him talk about, well, this show's just retreading everything, damn. Yeah, we, have a co- we have a Costco Roy. <laughs> How- Costco Roy. However... <laughs> Luckily, the it was good. Yeah, it was a good episode. Proved to be quite different. So mm-hmm. uh, we have Alto in training, and he basically is getting an it in the simulator. Mm-hmm. But we find out there that uh, it's Mikhail, mm-hmm. or for whatever reason they call him Mitchell when he's at work. Yeah, <laughs> bumped up the difficulty level just to screw with him and and break his arrogance. We have Ranka trying out for the Miss Macross contest, and it's sort of she sort of has the same fear that Minmay did because you know Minmay was up against all these like you know adult women you know big and busty and she was up against like a movie star and rank is just this sort of little tiny cute little girl up against all these other like busty chicks yeah and she's sort of feeling outclassed until cheryl shows up and you know pumps her up and says you know you gotta you gotta stand up and you know make your dream a reality so we got her singing and uh you know very fittingly with this episode she's singing uh the old midmay classic my boyfriend is a pilot oh, i love that scene <laughs> which is overlaid with uh also having his mock space battle with a squad of uh, Zentradi women. Zentradi yeah. Amazons, man. Oh, man. That, that, that riles me up. Anyway. <laughs> so, of course, things go wrong when a Vajra lobster defaults in front of them, and you sort of have this fight in the asteroid field. Alto sort of violates orders and goes and attacks with his stupid little knife since they were doing uh, paint rounds. Yeah. And yeah. He didn't have any real ammunition. He sort of gets easily tossed aside. But uh, luckily, as they mentioned, that asteroid field was former Zentradi battleground. So they had found earlier um, Zentradi battlesuit floating around. So he sort of nicely grabs this gun pod thing and he just blasts the hell out of that damn Vajra and yep. blows it up as well as half of his Valkyrie. Oh, Kamikaze, Kamikaze method. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Yeah, 
Yeah, that, that was a really. I, I love the way that whole paintball scene was directed and how the just the action was laid out for that scene. But then later on, when you know a real enemy shows up and he tries to get it with the beam dagger and um, has no luck. But I mean, it just the way it's directed, especially the scene where he's tussling with the um, Vajra and they have kind of like that rotation and you see the speed lines and everything and it's all in 3D. But it's like yeah. cell shaded 3D. I was like, that was a, just a, a scene that was really well done to me and I, I like that a lot. But. One thing I thought was really dorky, but also. Just, just funny was when he took out uh, before the Vajra attack when he took out the first Quedlin Rao pilot, and uh, he stops to do a Kabuki pose. Yes, <laughs> and they superimpose the a real Kabuki doing that pose, and, and even Mikhail's like, "Oh, what's this guy doing?" Or was Ozma? Because nice see the show has a sense of humor. Yeah. So unfortunately, in the end, um, Ranka does not win Miss Macross Frontier, which I liked. Yeah, I, liked. I was. I was like, I was kind of afraid that, uh oh, she's gonna win. She's gonna sweep it because of her. her she's her all cute. And clumsiness. And, you know, the Japanese businessmen in the audience love them, love them young. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what was interesting was seeing the panel of judges, which included yeah. Alto's father, mm-hmm. who yep. uh, did not look happy when he saw Alto and said, "You know, I don't know who that is. I don't know who mm-hmm. that stranger is." We had Kathy as one of the judges, and we found out that she was a past contestant herself. Awesome, yeah. eighth eighth place or something like that. And then uh, her creepy boyfriend was one too. And from the looks of it. Um, I think the judges were probably impressed by Ranka, and I think he was lobbying to have them vote against her. Wow, probably because he was showing he was showing them her file, and he was talking to them. And Kathy's looking at him like, "Oh, what's this guy doing?" So obviously, he knows what's up with Ranka because he was surprised in the last episode when he saw that she was one of the people that was trapped inside that shelter. Yeah. yeah. So he knows what's up with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, we find out that the deal with her is that uh, she was on a ship that was part of a research fleet and a thousand people got killed when the Vajra attacked. Of course, they covered it up and said that it was a full dislocation. Yeah. And Rank is one of the survivors of that accident, which relates to her flashback. And... Ozma was one of the pilots that responded to the Vajra there, so that's I guess that's how their paths crossed. Yeah. So by the end of the episode, uh, you know, she doesn't get uh, Miss Macross contest uh, prize, but um, we do see this rather interesting scene at the Nyan Nyan, which really reminded me of the original series, how like all the soldiers would hang out there. Yeah. Yep. And they were all hanging out there, and you have this very odd thing where uh, one of the females in Trotty pilots. Uh, Clan Clan or Clan Clan or however the hell her name's pronounced is nobody knows for sure yet. Um, yeah, she's this, we saw her earlier. Yeah, she's um, this when she came out the the suit and she was all Amazonish and um yeah you know, busty as all get out and then you see her in the in the restaurant and I'll let you get into it. Go ahead. <laughs> they explain that you know she has some genetic defect. Whenever she gets my cloned, she turns into this little lolly, which. I- don't buy it all. I, I, it's really weird. It's just like um, there's this explanation that you know how Ranka's hair sort of moves on its own. Yeah. yeah. They explain that as being part of her Zentradi background, and I'm thinking to myself, wait a second, I don't recall ever seeing any Zentradi with funky moving hair. Yeah, that's right. I don't see any Zentradi. Yeah. Get the got my clone down into like little kids. So that just seems yeah, like some weird stuff, and sort of like they're just looking for an excuse to have a lolly character or to throw yeah. in some moe, some moe love. Yeah. But uh, I I thought I thought it was cool I, in a sense because you know I guess. Adds Eric adds a comedic flair to the show. It kind of reminds me, and, and Neil would kill me for this, but it kind of reminds me of that chick from um, Tango Tenge, the one girl that um can can I forget her name, but she's one of the sisters. Oh Maya, be, yeah Maya. Oh, when she does the uh, when she goes down to she uses she, her chi to uh, get small exactly, yeah. and then you know becomes this busty 
well, badass chick later. Self, yeah. Yep. Yeah. So now that we've a few episodes into the show and sort of have a feel for where it's going, uh, what do you guys think of this first batch of episodes, and what do you expect in the future? My my fears have been silenced so far, so I can't do anything ill-informed for a while. But no, um, no. Like I said, uh, I I actually liked uh, the first episode, the 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 new the new broadcast version. Um, I like I like the fact that um, the kind of the character types are a little flipped. I am kind of with you, Chris, though, with some of these homages. Uh, we're getting to a point where it might be borderline of just uh, you know just copying or, or retelling the story, but because uh, there did seem like an awful lot of them, especially in these first couple of episodes, especially like seemed like two, three, and four, there was just wow, bam, 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 bam. <laughs> so well, even in episode four, there was one that was uh, I don't know if you guys saw this one was a bit more subtle. At the restaurant, there was a table of people eating a giant tuna head. Yeah. Oh no, that was right. I saw that yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. So I no, I um, I'm 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 definitely I, I like the way that it's going. I like the you know I like the feel. I definitely like that creepy factor though of of finding of that sense that there is something bigger behind the frontier fleet than Conspiracy. what's being. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you know. It's I'm I'm definitely looking forward to more of it. And Chris, it's going to be 25, 26 episodes, or has that been still confirmed? Or it hasn't been entirely confirmed, but given that from what I've seen, the home video release will be nine volumes. Okay. That's usually the standard in Japan for a 26 episode series. Okay. Of course, they could be going for based on the show's popularity, they could be going the two season route, like with Gius and Double O. So we don't know, but yeah. I would say at least 26 episodes. We'll have to find out more as time goes on. The original Macros did it when they had the 13-episode extension, so it wouldn't surprise me if this show kind of got a second season or at least an extension of sorts. I personally enjoyed the show. I thought it was neat to just kind of get that deja vu feeling again, get that old charming feeling that Macross gives, you know, the people who enjoy, they really love the show. And although there's a lot of homages there, I'm sure the show will kind of hit its own stride eventually. And I'm sure that there'll be homages to the other Macross shows too, plus seven. Zero, of course, because of the whole Vaja and, you know, all 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 sorts of other things but i i'm loving this show so far not i wouldn't say as much as code gears to double zero but it's a nice change of pace i think there definitely is going to be at some point the vajra revealed and i think that yeah. given that almost every macro show has somehow connected back to the protoculture mm-hmm. i have some theories i don't know if you guys noticed but in the opening there's some kind of weird looking guy who hasn't been shown yet yeah and there's also a kind of weird looking plane in shadows that's shown flying opposite mm-hmm. alto's vf25 yep. so i'm thinking that's potentially the actual enemy yeah yeah and that these lobsters things are just scouts. So my two theories are, one, that the Vajra are another race who are created by the protoculture just like humans and Zentradi. One possibility. One thing that I think might be more likely is that the Vajra are the protoculture. Oh. Yeah, that would kind of make sense too. Because it was said that, you know, they were destroyed long ago in war and yada yada, but I can't believe that every single one of them perished. You know, some group had to have escaped somewhere and maybe carried on their civilization somewhere else, you know, very far out in the edge of the galaxy and now they're coming back in because, Mm -hmm. you know, Mac Cross has never been just about having random aces. All aces are connected. 
and it's almost always from the starting point of the yeah. protoculture. What about the girl that showed the opening, the one with the kind of the blondish greenish hair and had kind of has like the black lines on her face? She kind of shows her looking up and that's, that's another character we haven't been introduced to yet, but I don't think she's affiliated with anybody on board the Macross. And on top of that, what were your thoughts on that character? You think she might be with the um, Vajra as well? I don't recall seeing her. I'll have to check again. But one that definitely jumped out at me was that weird-looking guy. And then the strange shadowed plane shown sort of like in opposition to Alto. Yeah, yeah the old yeah. anime staple of the of the shadowed nemesis that we won't see and we'll unshadow him <laughs> once he gets introduced. My last question is, and I forgot to look this up, I know that the OP and the ED are sung by Maya Sakamoto and composed by... Not the end. Not the end? Oh, okay, got it. But the beginning one is composed by... Yoko Kano also. Who does the soundtrack of the entire show? Yoko Kano. Does she really do the soundtrack of the show? I was listening to it and it's like, that sounds like Yoko too. I wanted to ask you to, to find out and I'm glad to hear it. It's good to hear her do another show. Another Macross even. Yeah. I was kind of disappointed when she wasn't doing the go for zero, but Shoji Kawamori had said that he wanted to have some musical variety, which is fine. You mm -hmm. know, just, he yeah. had somebody else do zero and the music for that was good. And now Yoko's back once more with that special touch. Other than that, I don't have any other thoughts. Obviously, we'll have to wait and see what happens and then we'll be back here again in a month macross frontier month two so with that we're just going to take a quick break and we'll be back with gundam at mahq i'm not going to say it's the best car in the world but it's going to move for us yeah, now hold on now baby let's just see if this thing's got under the hood first there she huh? is looks like the pep boys threw up Gun damn like i said work in progress Neil. Why is it so quiet? Shh. You'll tire yourself out if you talk. We'll head back once things have calmed down a bit. Just hang on a little longer. It'll be okay. Huh, Camille? Lieutenant. Listen. Was this some kind of theater? You've always been quite the actor, but if you decline a role in my show, this may be your final curtain call. No, because you see, huh? there's another actor. You might suppose so. But I'm merely a witness to history. I don't let myself get carried away like Char does. So you're saying I get too emotionally involved? Exactly. You want to bend the entire world to your own will. In that case, Char, why don't you help me restore the Zabi family? Just consider how we could reshape the world together. Don't you understand? I just don't want to guide this world in the wrong direction. Even without my guidance, humanity will change as it awakens to its new type gifts. I am content to wait for that time. If you really don't understand how this world works, then it's better that you remove yourself from it. You're wrong! Rekua, didn't you hear Kotz's voice a little while ago? Why? He's gone. And Captain Hankin too. Don't tell me you didn't feel anything. Everyone felt it. And everyone cried in their hearts for those two when they died. You know, Rekua, I don't think anyone will shed a tear for you when you're gone. Is that what you want? I don't care if anyone weeps for me. This is the way I've chosen to live my life. Rekua! Lieutenant Emma! But I can't. Yes, you can. You can end this battle. You're the only one who can do this. There are so many people who are watching over you. Remember that you're not alone. We're all with you, so don't feel lonely. Everyone. Everyone's dying. They're all dying one by one. Camille, the people who need to be removed are the ones whose souls are dragged down by the Earth's gravity. However, even that cause doesn't justify killing so many people. What's the point of building a new world if people can't live their own lives in it? Common people are only capable of holding back true genius. 
They're good for nothing. That's not true. Camille, get out now. Go on without me. I'll finish this right now. I am not leaving without you. Now move it. But you still have so much left to do. All the people who've died in this war believe they were giving up their lives to save the world. Do you actually think the world will be saved if kids like you continue to give up their lives? The old generation can't build the new era, Camille. Well, that's what you think, Char. Work done! Shall we end it here, Char? Or would you rather live? You'll never be able to beat me, boys! I can't forgive him! Even if it cost me my body and soul, he has to be punished! Don't you understand? Monsters like him can't be allowed to live! Neo, the controls are dead! What's wrong? Why isn't it moving? Be gone from this world! <laughs> I won't die alone. Your soul with me when I go. <clears throat> Camille, be done. Lieutenant Emma, Camille, be done. Let's do it. Cute's a relative term. I'm more concerned about my goddamn dessert. Welcome back to Gundam at MHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and along with Soulbro and Chris, I'm going to be going into one of our other segments here. This is kind of a general mech-related subject here. Uh, we're going to explore basically our favorite captains of mecha series, everything spanning from Gundam to Macross to whatever's out there. So a captain is always the most important piece of a ship. As with any mech show, you usually have you know the angry protagonist and you know his villainous antagonist, but the one character that always kind of stands out for everybody is the captain and um, in a lot of ways I think especially as we see in for examples of like a Mr. Bright Noah that they come to be like the centerpiece or, or the unifying piece to all continuing sagas throughout these shows so we're just going to kind of go around here throw out a couple of the people that we uh, what we like what shows are from and, and just some of the um, some of the reasons why we like them which one of you guys wants to go first Chris Chris by all means. of course you know this being Gundam how could we not start with the Slapper, the eater of hamburgers, <laughs> the one and only Bright Noah. Mr. Carnivore. Captain Carnivore. Will I salt in his burger? Thank you. Yes. We <laughs> don't have any salt, Captain. <laughs> and with his robotic chair. <laughs> Baddest chair ever. His chair of wonders. So he's 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 you know the eternal captain, and you know he's sort of the typical anime captain. Which there's a stereotype, even going back to like Yamato, of old old war veteran who will just sit there during the battle, mm -hmm. and then right at the proper moment he'll say exactly what they need to do to win. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And he's always dead on. Yep. Well, Bright isn't that guy. No. <laughs> no. He's thrust into the command role. Captain Cassius either gets killed in the TV show or hauled away in the movies. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and he's got, you know, this brand new prototype battleship, all these new mobile suits, a bunch of rowdy uh, civilians, and he's being chased by the most famous pilot of the Xeon. So he's got a lot on his hands for being someone who's just been in the forces for six months at the beginning of the original series. Yeah. He's sort of thrust into this position, and he comes off as a real hard ass, especially on Amuro, to the point where he says, you know, go ahead and hate me if you want. I don't care. <laughs> and he's really tough on Amuro throughout the whole series. Well, throughout a lot of the series, but it's, it's justified in large part because Amuro is so whiny and arrogant and uh, angsty problematic yeah emo at that point not willing to step up and do his part as, as powerful as he is and you know yeah. Bright had to get a rein on that and I liked his approach I mean it's hard-handed it lacked a little bit of tact but you know what he didn't have time for that he was just learning the ropes himself and you know he had a lot of responsibility on his hands and he, and he did it well with the tools he had even more so 
and other series that came after Mobile Suit Gundam. But yeah, Bright, I'd have to say, is probably my favorite captain of all time. To me, I equate him to the John Madden of captains. And why do I say that? Play a Super Robot Wars game. Who is the guy who's, who's captain in the ship with all the characters on it? That would be Bright Noah. Yeah, but... Uh, all Madden. I... <laughs> All know I don't know. The greats. That, that's that's a they weird serve, that's a weird comparison. They serve underneath him. It's good to go. Well, I know you're the sports aficionado yeah. on the show, so maybe I got John Madden's not even considered one of the greatest coaches. Who, who would he, that's who, a different who would be who would be equated to then? Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi, okay. All Vince. But <laughs> the Lombardi of captains. Yeah. Hey, there you go. But Neo, your take on Bright. Well, are you not much more I can really add on that? Just the fact that what makes him very interesting is he's not afraid to make mistakes. And I think especially as his uh, character develops throughout each one of the incarnations of the shows, he at, you were talking about how he's so hard on Armro. And he's just trying to help him from, you know, making mistakes himself. But he, he actually understands and he starts to realize that mistakes are part of the learning curve. And mm -hmm. he's not as heavy handed towards the end with a lot of these people than, than what he was at the beginning. Because like in, he realizes like he by, made lots of mistakes. Exactly. Like by Double Zeta, how he treats um, Judo. Yeah. And there's like a standout scene where he's like, he tells Judo, I was like, look. I am so sorry. You know, he's just very regretive about, about you know, the decisions that the AU made. And he, he tells him to hit him. He tells Judo to hit him, which is big. <laughs> and Judo does it without any, with barely any hesitation. And it was like, it was nice to see Bright actually, you know, put the ego down and let some justice be get dispensed at his expense. But still, he was big enough to do that. And I find him admirable for that. All yeah. I, I don't know about that. I, I think by the time Double Zeta rolled around, Bright just gave up because he was just exhausted of war after war with yeah. a pack of bratty kids showing up and just, <laughs> just being a pain in the ass. Because if you notice, after a while, he just gives up with Judo at the beginning of the show and just lets Judo do whatever the hell he wants because I think he's just too exhausted of dealing with this crap for so long. He couldn't get off the new Argama quicker. <laughs> He couldn't have them go into deep space faster. <laughs> yeah. He's like, you guys are ready to stand on your own. You don't need me anymore. See you later. Bye. Yeah. Here's a new ship. Here's some mobile suits. Go for it. You take care of Have that. fun. Done. Yeah. Hence the chicken on his head. Man, you had to mention the chicken on his head. <laughs> At least in Shark's Counterattack, he looked awesome. And he was awesome. Yeah. Shark's Counterattack, what I liked, just wrap up bright, mm -hmm. you know, as he developed, he went from being the inexperienced guy to uh, a seasoned veteran, but also uh, his development as a family man. Yeah. And you see that uh, what I like is the, mm -hmm. the way they depict his and Mirai's marriage is that the two of them see eye to eye on everything and she knows what it is that he's fighting for and what it is he's risking fighting for by going up against the Titans and she's okay with it. And, you know, she's getting along and the children, yeah. you know, in his place with him gone and... Uh, she knows what he's doing and she approves of it because she's a war veteran herself. So, you know, a lot of times you have an anime like one person's doing something and the other one just doesn't get it or they argue or there's problems, yada, yada. But, right. you know, these two, they're, they're perfectly in tune with each yeah. other on, in that respect. The wife didn't give him static. That's why he didn't cheat on her. Well, there was that chick, Emily, <laughs> from Double Zeta. Oh, that's, yeah. what I was, that, that's what I was saying. He was tempted, tempted but he, ended, didn't, he didn't end up doing it. And that, that's another reason why I dig bright. Stand up guy. So who's next with the captain? Go ahead, soul bro. Who, who me? Yeah, who's oh. your who's your? Captain. Oh, dude, we can continue the subject anymore if we didn't bring up Captain Henry Global. Global, I should say. I, I, or as I've used, I grew up with um, Robotech. He was Henry J. Global in that show. But um, of course, he was the captain of the um, SDF Macross and Super Dimensional Fortress Macross. And um, to me, he is, uh, to this day, I think he's a, just one of the best captains 
there ever was on the ship. But granted, he could not do that job alone on that ship. As 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 veteran as he was, he had probably the best crew he could possibly have on that ship. Misa Hayase and Claudia and um, the Bridge Bunnies and everybody. And man, I, I keep throwing in these Robotech references. But. By the way, uh, Robotech uh, nitpick mm-hmm. in uh, <clears throat> Matt Cross, he's actually J Global. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Bruno, I'm so sorry. <laughs> in Macross, they had him sort of as being, um, I think his background is Italian. And then in uh, Robotech, they, they Russian, Russianified him. Yeah, very yeah. true. But either way, he still kicks ass in any version. Yeah. All day long. It's, uh, so much so that they even paid homage to him in Secret of Blue Water when they made Captain Nemo and they made him look exactly like him. And uh, am I wrong on this? Or was the Japanese voice actor for um, Nemo also the same voice actor for um, Grobo as well? Because I, I, I think I remember reading that, but I'm probably wrong. Uh, the internets say no. Oh, I was, I so was bro's right. internet was says yes. But interestingly, uh, he's the uh, Japanese dub voice for Count Dooku. Oh, really? Oh, no. From uh, Star Wars? Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. from those those prequels that don't exist. Yeah. Those shameful examples of how you ruin your franchise. <laughs> anyway, but yeah, any any other any any other thoughts on on good old Bruno? More of a I don't. The only thing is where like Bright kind of broke the mold. Uh, he's more or less in the um, the mold of like Chris said earlier, the the classic anime ship captain, where <laughs> you know he would at the right moment. Oh, we need to do this. We need to turn the shields or turn the ship or whatever. But definitely a good captain, and you can kind of see though he starts to get more accepting mm. uh with with the bridge crew and all the people he's having to deal with because you know that was a really weird situation kind of like bright where you have all of a sudden you have a lot of military people on there but then you have to take care of all these civilians and and not only have the thing of you know instilling military discipline on your subordinates but having to answer for the winds and and the, the daily needs and desires of uh these civilians and be the liaison between yeah um that the people on that ship and the military that wouldn't allow the people to get back home and and you know he was a father figure to that entire crew if not that whole ship later on in the series he's an amazing guy well here's my thing the thing about global is yeah he fits into that mold but at the same time he's sort of a sort of a subtle parody on it because you know when you think of that mold you think of like the captain of the yamato who's always like a grizzled old gruff guy yeah where global <laughs> He's more likable. Yeah. He's got some quirks, like you know, always bumping his head on the door of the bridge. Yep. Um, always pulling out his his uh, pipe, and Shammy's telling him that he can't smoke on the bridge. <laughs> yeah, that sort of stuff. So he kind of fits into that mold, but he also separates yeah. from it in certain ways. That being those being some yeah, very yeah, true. I, yeah, and, th- and that's true. And then that's like I said. I mean, he he closely resembles it. Where you know, bright. Bright, on the other hand, was, you know, just a young-faced kid straight out of the academy. And since we're talking Macross, we can't go on without mentioning Captain Max. Oh, yeah. Oh, you said something from uh, Macross 7? When, um, yeah. When, uh, when, when our friend uh, Max Genius becomes um, a full-fledged captain? Yes. As opposed to, oh, man, I, I, I wish I've seen 7 because Max, is, Max um, Genius is my favorite anime character of all time. And this, it, reading that he became a captain of a ship and, you know, he's like, I wouldn't say a big part of Seven, but, you know, he's he's there and you see him often. And I heard he was an awesome captain. I mean, what's your take on him, Chris? You know, whatever other faults Macross Seven has, and it, it does have uh, quite a few, Max just, just kicks ass because, you know, he uh, he leads the uh, Battle Seven into battle whenever is necessary. Uh, he sort of, you know, knows what to do at the right time. But sometimes, you know, even he's caught off guard by things. And, and he also mm-hmm. makes mistakes, but he, he recovers from, you know, those sorts of things. And he's... 
he's got ingenuity, which that was evident in the original. But just part of what makes him so kick-ass is that even in Macross 7 when he's 50, but doesn't look a day over, like, say, 25, he still is the best pilot, because at the end of the show, you see him pilot again. He's got a, uh, a Sturmvogel, and uh, there's this battle on uh, Planet of the Baruta system, and you got all these Valkyries flying through this trench, kind of like Star Wars. It's like all these guys are fighting, and they're crashing because they're crappy pilots, and then <laughs> there's this whole battle going on, and then yeah. Max, he just folds in yeah. right in the middle of that battle, flies by everybody, loses to her chasing him, destroys them all, and fires a nuclear missile at the enemy, which ends up not working working but it looked cool when he did it dang it <laughs> so you know he's he's the captain but he's also willing his men into the fight and you know take the fighting of the enemy himself with uh with his valkyrie and it's nice to see him also uh with milia she gets her own custom storm vogel the two of them in uh blue and red teaming up again and fighting in the uh the last battle there in Macross 7, so he sort of combines the best of both worlds, being a former pilot, but still the experienced ship commander. That's awesome. I, I really need to get down to watching some 7, because that just just hearing what you just said has already got me excited to see it. Well, that kind of that kind of brings a nice segue into one of my favorite captains, and unfortunately, this will be coming from a, um, a Gundam series, but oh. not too unfortunately, but Go for it. he was kind of a captain, I guess, more or less in his position not necessarily ordained or you know commissioned by a particular group but have to be old Jamil neat man the oh, captain of the freedom of course man the jack of all trades being man. the being in the same uh the same aspect of um yeah just like max uh, pilot and captain yeah pilot and captain and what's great about uh Jamil is you know initially he has a phobia of getting into the cockpit of a mobile suit and i'm not going to spoil it too much for anybody out there but those that have seen the show know what i mean but about a halfway through the show um they procure another mobile suit so they need more pilots and he gets back in there but what makes him great is not only is he's able to uh help out the freedom and help out garud and and wits and robia um you know doing what they need to do he actually puts uh, garud under kind of his tutelage and does more of a mentoring teaching thing when he shows him how to fight a new type and not having to use new type powers and a uh, very idealistic person uh very uh very flawed captain i think in a lot of ways because of um you know what had hap- had happened he was really in his past and i think that sometimes kept him from always being more aggressive than what he needed to be right um you know a lot of times he held back too much because he was afraid that if i do this it'll escalate into this and um you know it will you know will cause what you know happened years ago but um great good captain great tactics um you know had mad respect for from his people and for his people um, you know, one of the, f- you know, uh, sometimes you can always have that as like kind of a character flaw with a captain, maybe caring too much about certain characters. But in this way, it was different because like I said earlier, they weren't, they weren't a commissioned, um, they weren't in a commissioned force. He was just kind of the captain of this ship of people that just kind of came together because there's nothing else going on. Um, you know, and, and these, you know, they, they're doing, they're actually, he's, He's actually more like a pirate captain more than anything because <laughs> they were vultures. And what vultures were, were they would just go around, steal stuff from people and sell it off. So um, very, uh, very, very unique captain. And um, one of the f- one of the few captains outside of Bright Noah that really stands out to me in, in any of the series. So mm. any thoughts? I agree completely. Do- okay. I thought he was um, 
That was the uh, the MVP. <laughs> and another favorite captain, though, of mine, and I I guess it could be kind of a mech show. They got some mechs in it, is the old original pirate captain himself, Captain Harlock. Of course. Just because he's dope. <laughs> yeah. But that's all I can say on that. <laughs> watch any of watch any of the shows or any of the movies. You'll see how dope he is. Yes, he is. He's he's the captain. The, the captain of all captains. He is the captain of all captains. Like the Lord of Lords. <laughs> The Lord of Lords, he, he is the Alpha, the Omega, when it comes to command. That's what I'm saying. So, any other ones that you guys may have? Or? I have off the beaten path, uh, a newer one. Sure. That's uh, Go for it. Mobid from Heroic Age. Oh, okay. All right. Um, he's sort of the, you know, experienced older captain, but what stands about him is that he, he also, he's got a lot of ingenuity in dealing with pretty much a hopeless situation, because in this show, you've got humanity is at war with these other species and they're all after the technology and the knowledge of these people who are called the golden tribe right and there's a silver tribe and a bronze tribe who are competing as well the bronze tribe works for the silver one and then you have humanity which is the iron tribe and they're the weakest so weak that they got chased away from earth and their technology is far less advanced. Yeah, wow. So they're sort of fighting against impossible odds because the Silver Tribe wants no less than to completely wipe them out. And, yeah. you know, he's on this ship with the princess of their people, and they're on this quest to uh, find this person who in prophecy is supposed to help them. And he's up against impossible odds all the time because, you know, they have, you know, hordes and hordes of enemies attacking with much more advanced technology, and they just have, you know, mecha and not, you know, the fancy advanced technology that these other races have. And he's got to deal with incompetence of uh, the princess's brothers who, you know, are just a bunch of arrogant twits who, when they take command of the fleet, lead to near disaster two times and uh, end up blowing up Mars. Ooh, Mars? Just to try to fight the enemy, yeah. Oops. <laughs> or was it Jupiter? I don't remember. Holy. Oops. Wow. <laughs> so, to, the point that, to the point that even, you know, the aliens are like, what is wrong with these people? They'll destroy a planet in their own star system? They're barbarians. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he's just a guy who's always in command. He's got that sort of uh, commanding voice and, uh, you know, he deals with all situations and he always keeps a cool head and uh, comes up with a way for everyone to survive. So definitely uh, Moby from Heroic Age, if you haven't seen the show. It's it's a great show. A lot of people are turned off of it because it uh, has character designs by Hisashi Hirai from Seed. Oh, but okay. Put those character designs aside, and it's a very good show. So definitely uh, Moby, watch Heroic Age. We'll have to talk about that show in depth someday. I'll definitely have to check that out. Any any we'll any to... any one for you, uh, Sobro? Well, I, I have two that come to mind. Okay. One of them you guys will probably say, um, hell no. But you know, my first one is Alan Shazar from Vision of Escaflone. That guy was awesome. <laughs> that guy was awesome. He was not only a fighter, but a captain of his own ship, albeit small. He was the captain. I guess later on they team up with um, Falcon, but but they were rolling pretty pretty much solo before that. And you know he was an experienced guy. He was kind of a you know a stand up knight. You know, kind of followed. The, he was by the book, but his beginnings were kind of rough. You know, he there was a time where he was kind of a cutthroat cutthroat bandit, and then he kind of got raided in by one of the best characters in the series. What was that samurai's name? The um the samurai that taught how Vaughn how to fight too. Oh, Balgus. Yeah, that yeah. Guy. Balgus. Yeah, and yeah, he um he kind of brought him into a, you know a new way of being, and he became a standout captain. And later on, got very tied into the plot because you know things with the sister and whatnot. I won't give 
give away that whole plot thread. But yeah, I, I liked Allen a lot, and he did a, he he really impressed me in um, Escaflone. The other captain I'm kind of fond of is female captain, and that would be Utica Mizumaru from um, um, Nadesco. Nadesco. Oh man, you, I I had a feeling you would mention. Oh, I love her. Utica. Uh. Yeah, she's like she's like the captain, the little captain that could. <laughs> as much as I like Ruri as a captain who becomes a captain later on, Yurika Yurika yes. to me was like the. Um, the captain that should have never been, but did the job well anyway. And um, <laughs> given the circumstances, as as comedic as that show was, and um, I really missed her in the in the in the in the Nadesco movie. But then again, we can't get in that right now because that, yeah. that, yeah. that would that would that would that would incite uh, fights. But um, Eureka, <laughs> uh, uh, given the, she had the high tech ship run by a corporation, which you never see in any mech show, really, uh, actual ship not run by the military, but by a corporation. She was picked. As what? Mm, almost in an idol. Huh? What's that? Die Guard. Yeah, very true. Die Guard. But then again, Die Guard is made by the same team, practically, which which wouldn't surprise okay. me. But they didn't have a ship, but um, just like a, a ship with right. suits on it that was run by a corp. And she was picked as a almost on the basis of like how Japan picks an idol you know, for, for singing and whatnot. She was kind of picked like you know they would they would, like they Amer- would pick, American captain yeah American captain basically Japanese captain <laughs> and just texture the, vote to six four four very unconventional and although she was she was eye candy she was just just a very interesting captain nonetheless and <laughs> made a great dynamic between her and Akito and I I, I, I like Yurika I, I put her up well there. if you're gonna mention <laughs> if you're gonna mention Yurika I'm gonna have to one up you I'll go for it just see Ueki Tyler ooh wait oh you're talking about Captain Tyler oh no Captain Tyler. <laughs> And he counts because his show had mecha. They were strange pink power armor piloted by a bunch of gruff-looking marines, but they were mecha. Yeah, his yeah. show did have mecha, didn't it? Here's a guy who, you know, <laughs> yeah. his attitude and just seeming ineptness is is dwarfed by just his amazing luck or skill. You know, the I think the jury's still out on that. But, uh, you know, he's, he's just an eternal optimist, and everyone thinks he's a damn clown, but he always manages to come up with a good solution in the end. And eventually, uh, people start to see things his way and realize that he's not uh, an idiot and uh, that he, in fact, uh, is probably a genius who just yeah. uh, has a very strange attitude and strange personality. An idiot savant. Kind of. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> but uh, at least at, from appearance, from appearance, if anything, but... Yeah, I need to. I, I need to watch all the irresponsible Captain, Captain Tyler. Yeah, and yeah. that show was hilarious. And I definitely give you give you props on that pick. I guess um, one captain that I'll, I'll just kind of, unless you guys have any other ones, but one that I, I have one more. But go I, it's it's always, I don't necessarily know if it's a favorite one, but he does kind of stand out to me and made a lot of impression. Was um, and I'm sure Chris could probably put more into this too after I'm done. Is uh, Best Jordan from Edion. Yeah. And, Best Jordan. And the thing I liked about him was the fact of he could have just gave up and went home. And, you know, especially once they get with the, um, uh, they get with, uh, they meet up with the Earth fleet in the show, um, you know, and they, of course they want the Edion. Um, but he had, he had such a, a respect and a relationship trying to help these people that in a lot of ways didn't like him. Um, none of the Edion's pilots really listened to what he had to say he was always in fights with cosmo it seemed like wow um he did everything he could to get these people back and and try to get them back to earth or back to their home uh, and and keep everybody safe but he was always at at the wits end and it didn't help that they're getting chased by the buff clan then they're getting chased by the earth forces and he's having to deal with all of his people around him except for uh, krala krala 
Um, you know, she was the only one that would, um, you know, that helped him out and kind of supported him. But he, uh, I, I, I don't know, I just had kind of like really a lot of respect for that type of character because I think in a lot of ways, if any of us were in the same situation, when we had the first opportunity to get out of it, we would have gotten out of it. Yeah, and he was in an impossible situation where, unlike in a lot of other series, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse and never got better. Oh, jeez. Oh, it's like first the Buff Clan, <laughs> then Earth, yeah. and then everybody, and then and, people and, start and dying, it, and it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse until finally when you're at the level of uh, what's going on in Be Invoked, you know, it's like, man, why? Is, I'm, it's amazing that this guy hasn't cracked yet and just gone insane. Yeah, and especially, I mean, and, and Chris, you'll probably agree on this, is with in every, every one of these shows, you always have kind of the pilot captain fight there's always an argument but my god it seemed like in every episode <laughs> they were fighting i mean cosmo didn't want to do this he thought best was trying to hurt everybody or he thought he was doing this or hiding this or hiding that and oh it was just it was just non-stop i don't know how anybody wouldn't crack well cosmo was just a dick oh, oh they, wow. they were all horrible i mean but he just kept he kept plugging on and Tamino must have just strove to make the most unlikable cast in the history of anime huh pretty much because you know when we're talking in super Tamino wars the only characters that i find really likable in that show are bess and Kurala. yeah they're the only ones and i mean he he just stands out i mean when you see that show he's He's an unconventional captain because, once again, he's kind of like Bright in that whole aspect. He's just kind of thrown into this whole situation. He was like the highest ranking mil. Who's what part of the militia or, or like the colony defense force or something, Chris? Yeah. I can't, re I can't really remember too, too much. I hadn't seen it in a while. But, um, you know, and, and everybody's looking at him to, you know, make these decisions. And at first he doesn't want to do it and he doesn't know what to do. And, and then just having to deal with these unruly citizens and, oh, but... Yeah, he's definitely uh, he's definitely up there for me. I I I mean, I guess maybe more of us a, a sympathy vote, but jeez. Um, but uh, Soulbro, you said you had one more. Real I, I'll quick. touch upon. I, I two came to mind. Oh. One of them I'll touch on. This, this one is gonna you're gonna love, but I can't remember his name. You have to help me with this. But the director of um Al, uh, with the director of Alvis on um on Fafner. Oh, Maccabee, Commander Maccabee. Yeah, Maccabee. I mean, the the the, the stuff here that yeah. He had to, he had to go through and the, the, the trials he put these children through and had no choice but to do so. I think, to me, he stands out a lot more than, um, say, a lot of people probably bring up, you know, anybody in Nerve and Evangelion. But I think Makabe, he was a bit more admirable for the fact that he knew what he was doing and he felt sorry for it. Right. A, in other a, words, he was getting to Akari, but nice. He was getting to um, Akari, but he was more human, no. if anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I definitely... Um, what? I, I'd kind of agree with that because they, they had hard decisions to make too. Yeah. And he had to put up with a lot of junk um, with, you know, everybody trying to betray him and everybody trying to tell him what to do. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of cloak and dagger things yeah. going on behind the scenes and losing, through losing all that. basically the relationship with his son and, you know, having to go through the whole thing of thinking his son had defected. And yeah, I, I would definitely put that up there. But what, what was your other one? My other one is not so much a captain of a ship or kind of a military group, but a, a, a team, the director of Section 9, Aramaki, you know, your boy Hayachi. Hayachi. <laughs> yeah. Mini Hayachi. Mini, Mini Hayachi. Chibi Mahashi. Chibi. <laughs> but he is, I mean, for his size and his age, he is, he's just, he is, he, he knows the, um, 
He knows the ins and outs of the Japanese government, how everything plays out. He's seen yeah. a lot of things go down. Um, he runs Section 9, not with an iron fist, but just with, with an efficiency that's incredible. Of course, with the help with the major and, you know, Bateau and the rest of the group. But, you know, he keeps things tightly organized. And even when the chips are down with Section 9, he still has, you know, he's, he still has a way out for them. You know, he still yeah, and he had he, to make a lot of hard decisions. Oh, a lot of hard decisions. And I just Aramaki, just every time you see him in the show, it's always a great moment because, you know, he's always going to be, you know, he's always ahead of the game. No matter yeah. what's going on, he's always ahead of the game. And I mean, even even as an old man, he's probably the oldest of all the captains we discussed. <laughs> right. Even uh, even as an old man, he's still he, he, he hasn't missed his mind hasn't aged today is like a steel trap right. literally but yeah i could see that but uh chris any any last thoughts or anybody else that came to mind before um we kind of wrap this up uh two honorable mentions okay. not necessarily favorites but there's some mention uh the first one would be daitetsu minase from super robot wars original generation you know the guy guy kicks ass and he's literally the embodiment of the grizzled old captain who always knows what to do at the right time right. Oh, wow. but he just does it in style anyway and uh another one that's kind of off the wall would be uh gadi kinsey from zeta gundam yeah Mm-hmm. He's sort of the uh, the sort of like the the dark bright, you know. He's he's an experienced veteran. Uh, he's very good with ship tactics, and you know, in that one episode, he actually managed to outwit yeah. Bright. Oh, when they did that trap in uh, side two with the abandoned colonies, and he totally yeah. lured Bright in and, and had him hush hook line and sinker. Yeah. Oh, that's true. And you know, he didn't agree with a lot of the things the Titans did, and that created problems. <laughs> yeah. Later on, when uh, you know, he would just come up with excuses to not do colony gassings like saying the ship was broken or something like that and they had to, they had to fix it and you know, he was just sort of his even though he was part of the titans hierarchy he was still kind of his own man and did his own thing and didn't necessarily agree with everything the titans did yeah <laughs> definitely he was definitely. all right i've, I've I almost forgot about that guy yeah. but now that you bring that up it, it yeah he he was one of the he was like the only titan that you had any type of respect respect or kind of kinship for because all the other ones oh man correct me if i'm wrong he was the really skinny he was a really he was kind of skinny withered looking yeah he was the captain of the alexandria after after jamaican uh got blown away thank yeah. you yeah it's, it's yeah. like it looked like his uniform was a little bit too big for him yeah he, that was that's definitely the guy that i was thinking of too and i guess an honorable mention it would be again would and i'll just kind of hit this and we can wrap this up but would be because uh, it brings up um captain synapse from uh oh, stardust no. memories uh uh, in, in a show that we talked about where there's a lot of people you just can't stand yeah um in that one um you know between outside of gato he was he was the only other real character that um really kind of um you know stood out uh because once again kind of doing his own thing and and you're seeing that you know you're seeing how the um the titans are starting to get into the the federation some of the decisions they were making and you know he he actually took it you know he he went against them so much that he actually gets imprisoned at the end. Jeez. So um, you know he's he's kind of an honorable mention for me. But mind if I mind if I have one honorable mention? All right. And y'all, I'm sorry if this hurts y'all feelings, but I I, I do believe Masato from Evangelion does need does get a little bit of credit. Mm. Just a little not, bit. Just really. a little bit. Mm. I lost all credibility with you guys, but I'm sorry. I, I do like Masato. That's mm. just me. <laughs> but some of the tactics did work. Uh. We'll edit that part out, right. but um, 
But that's some of our thoughts and some of our uh, favorite captains. Um, I, I'm sure there's other ones out there, but we'd probably be going on for quite a long time. Uh, but definitely uh, any of the listeners out there, hit us up with some of your responses or maybe some people that we have forgotten up on the Mechatalk forums at mhq.net. And uh, we're going to be ending this segment and we'll be back in a little bit. You're listening to Gundam at MHQ. <laughs> Review, and when you have a free moment, check out these cool websites mahq.net, and that stands for the Mecha and Anime Headquarters. They have information and reviews on a variety of animes as well as specs on Mecha from your favorite series. Check out the forums and see what the regulars are saying about Mobile Suit Gundam Double Zero. A E U G.blogspot.com, and that website is Ganada. And that's your number one news site for all things Gundam. But watch out for those spoilers on Gundam Double Zero, though. www.myspace.com slash FTS Shinjuku. And that's for the podcast that started it all. Flip the script. Anime, video games, movies, TV, and music are a few of the subjects that are tossed about in a roundtable discussion by six very different individuals. Boy Wonder, Dr. Encyclopedia Black, Lee Majors, and Shoji Romero, as well as the host of Gundam, Neo Lorinoke, and Sobro Ryu. GundamOfficial.com That's Gundam O-F-F-I-C-I-A-L dot com. And that's for the official website of Gundam, of course. It's um, managed by the guru of Gundam himself, Mark Simmons. For those who had missed out on Simmons' mega fan site and extensive wiki of mobile suits in the late 90s, labeled the Gundam Project, now's your chance to see the second coming of it at GundamOfficial.com. www.myspace.com slash Gundam the show. That's G-U-N-D-A-M-N the show. And last but not least is the website for the unofficial podcast for all things Gundam and Mecha, Gundam. Check us out on MySpace, and if you're a member, add us as a friend and give us your opinions on the mecha series you enjoy. Peep these cool websites when you get a minute. Now, back to... Fix this goddamn door! Welcome back to Gundam at MAHQ. As you've seen in past episodes, we've talked at length and exhaustively about Gundam 00. So now that the show is off the air, we're kicking off a new segment, the Gundam Roundup, where we're going to be discussing all of the previous Gundam shows in production order. So, of course, the best place to start here is with the original. So in uh, this segment, we're going to be talking about the original Gundam series, both the TV show and the movie, and 
obviously we're not going to be talking about plot points here and like we do with anime spotlight of introducing a show because you're listening to this show you've probably seen the original series and if you haven't well what's your damn excuse (laughs) we're mainly going to be doing sort of our thoughts on the movie and the tv show so i'll kick it off to you guys first whoever wants to pick up um thoughts on the tv show what sort of things did you like or didn't like about what it did. Well, to me, the TV show was a it was a breath of fresh air. I remember watching it on a. I remember watching the promos for it on a, a on um tsunami when it was getting ready to air and being surprised that actually with um, Peter Cullen. Yeah, with Peter Cullen doing that wonderful voiceover. It's like that man can do a trailer so well. It's like him and Don Fontaine. But I'm, I'm getting off subject. But um no um when I saw the trailer for that show, I got really excited because I you know watching Wing and falling in love with that show. I was finally glad to finally see the show that actually originated the entire series. But at the same time, I was kind of heavy-hearted because I had a feeling it probably might not go well with the, the normal Toonami crowd. But um, I was happy to see it because I was used to watching older shows like that. And when watching the show, I easily got swept up in the storyline. I mean, I always love a good chase story. And that's how the beginning of Mobile Suit Gundam starts out, kind of like a, a travelogue. But at the same time, they're being pursued. You got this main reluctant character, kind of the definitive reluctant pilot um, Amaro Ray, who gets thrust in a situation where he's got a pilot, this new mobile suit, and um, he's he turns out to be a natural, um, very antisocial, but at the same time, an intriguing character, along with the rest of the cast and crew. And um, I was really swept up in it. I didn't think I'd get as passionate about that show as I did by the time it was reaching its end. And but but pretty much, watch, just watching the show from Jump, I I I loved it from the first episode. Well. I'd have to say, um, you know, I was I was also excited uh, after watching Wing and had hearing about, um, you know, Gundam, not our the podcast, but that's how it would seem like it was always talked about over here until it was brought over. Um, uh, I definitely, uh, I definitely was looking forward to watching it. And the only thing, though, that you know, as much as it as great as it was, the only problem is, is especially in the television series, is some of the crazy stuff, like um, a lot of the super robot stuff, like the um, the midair transformations, the uh, <laughs> G armor and the G bull and the G fighter, and you know that kind of crazy stuff. And you know, and the the only other thing I'd have to say that I didn't like too much about the original series was how, especially towards the middle of the show. Um, animation got really bad and um you know i can kind of forgive older animation but sometimes when it just gets kind of lazy and sloppy um it does get a little it it does take some of the excitement and draws your attention away from the story but um getting to see the iconic characters like uh you know shar azimbal and bright noah even Armro, even though I'm not a huge Armro Ray fan, <laughs> um, you know, just seeing how they developed throughout the show uh, was, you know, nice to see, um, especially the thing of despair and death with, like, the loss of Ryu and, like, the loss of uh, Lieutenant Matilda <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, all, all, all those other characters was kind of interesting. Uh, the only problem is, is, you know, I... I it does get that rushed ending because it was unfortunately canceled and they had to cut it short. So it, it does kind of leave you um, one of those things with the, the what if, um, you know, what would happen at the end. But that gets kind of taken care of through um, through the movies. So uh, I guess I'll talk about the movies in a little bit. But Chris, what are your thoughts on the original uh, 
on the original television show. Oh, uh, before me, uh, Solbro, anything you didn't like about the TV show? Probably the fact that it was cut too short. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, it was never fully realized, and the whole new type echo came out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, you could kind of yeah. see it hinted towards, but it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a gradual move. It was kind of like just hit, it hit you over the head. It was done much better in the movies, which we'll definitely get into shortly, and far better in the book. But um, we already talked about the book earlier. But uh, no, the, 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 the shortness of the series uh, and the fact that by the end of the show, they were using so much animation, it's, it's sad. But it's not their fault. I mean, they ran out of money, and they, they barely got the extension they needed in order to finish the show. So I commend Tamino and his, his team for doing what they did. And later on, we got the, we got the gun of they intended with the movies. And I, um, those are just minor nitpicks. Oh, I mean, I'll have to yeah. say, just before we kick it off to Chris, is that, I mean, I hit some, you know, I, I think I hit a lot more negatives than I did positives. I, I do love the show, and I think it's definitely one of those shows that uh, any anime watcher, um, I think that you need to watch, even if you're not into mecha uh, genre and the mecha genre, because... Um, a lot of the things that you see that happen within the show that were developed went over to um, you know other other animes and, and other you know movies and such with you know the red rival and you yep. know the antihero and you know the reluctant emo protagonist and you know all this other stuff so um, yeah I just wanted to make sure that you know I wasn't getting I had too many negatives on the <laughs> uh, on the show I, I definitely definitely think it's great but you know there were some glaring glaring um, missteps and uh, things along the way so it still it still stands as the template of real robot shows though and i gotta i gotta yeah. give that show all the credit in the world for that well since you mentioned um the show being cut short uh Solbro, uh we should probably mention uh how the story was going to be vastly different had the show originally gone to the 52 episodes that it was scheduled for definitely way back in 1997 uh gundam expert mark simmons did a translation on the first version of the gundam mailing list uh, brief summary of you know how the original version was going to play out uh some of the things you would have seen i'm looking at the outline here uh Cassilia attacking luna 2 with uh white base there fighting um lots of different mobile suits yeah. wow would the G- would the gms been introduced a lot sooner than what they were uh no the the divergence occurs um in the late the late 30s, like after Solomon. Okay. So everything up to Solomon was about the same. Right. It's everything that happens after that that starts to change. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see here. We've got a few episodes with um, the white base at Luna 2, and um, sort of the same thing. Uh, the Gundam gets the uh, magnetic coating, mm-hmm. and uh, a right. bit different here. Uh, Amaro's father is captured by the Flanagan Institute. What? Wow. Um, Any can't... reason why, or are they just... They That's a just... difference. He didn't meet his dad on side six. Must have been captured by the Zeon if they sweep through the area right. from side seven and, and found his his uh, his dad out there. Found him, yeah, um, and probably knew who he was immediately. Would Cusco Al would have shown up in the TV show or Cusco Al does show up in the TV show, but from what I remember, I think it's a totally different character with the same name. Oh, oh man, but that would have still been cool. You have Cassilia attacking a Federation fleet that's on its way to Granada with space adzums. Oh, wow. wow. No way. Which just sounds really funky. That does. <laughs> and um, the the Federation, they uh, they conquer Granada. Uh, it doesn't seem clear here if uh, Cassilia dies, nice. but according to this summary, she uh, tells Char and Lala to escape. 
sounds like she dies. Oh, wow. So we have here uh, the Federation. They occupy Granada wow. as part of um, you know their plan to invade Site 3, just sort of the same way that they occupy Solomon to use it as a staging ground. Right. Okay, we're now in the mid-40s. Right. Um, we probably saw Lala in an actual Xeon uniform like in um, like in the Geryon's Ambition games. Yeah. Yeah. We have a uh, new character named Pacadelia who's uh, some new type underling. Right. And uh, during a battle, she uh, there's a battle with uh, Amro and Lala, and she thinks that Lala is consorting with the enemy and kills Lala. Yeah, that's oh. what I was going to say. I thought I thought Lala died in a different way. Because yeah. I, I do remember hearing... Um, yes. I don't know if it was Mark Simmons. I'm sure it was probably somewhere I, I read about his, uh, you know, the, these translations, but... Yeah, I was going to ask you that. Ultimate mark, I knew that she was going to die different. Which is a huge, huge change. Uh, But according to this summary, it says here that uh, regardless, Shar blames Amro for what happened. And then this uh, person, Pacadelia, gets uh, killed by Kai and Hayato. Oh, no. Wow. And uh, moving on, we have have Shar personally meeting Giran. But um, he's so obsessed with uh, fighting Amro now that he doesn't take the opportunity to kill Giran when he can. Wow. Right on. So, um... Moving on, we have Degwin wants to uh, negotiate for peace and meets up with White Base and his secretary comes with him, Cusco Al. Mm. Right. But it's not the same character at all from the novels. And uh, Bright sort of falls for her. Oh, no wow. way. So Bright even gets a little uh, get a, get a, gets a little love struck before he ends up with Mirai. That's crazy. What about Slager? Does he die the same way? Yeah, this is, he already died in Solomon. Yeah, okay. that's right. So we have Giran sending a mobile suit team to attack the White Base and kill his father. Oh wow! No way. And um, he gets killed, but Bright rescues Cusco Al, mm-hmm. and uh, Amaro believes that she's a spy, but Bright yeah, of course defends her. Apparently, it turns out she she is a spy. No and way. Of White Base moving over to uh, side three. And uh, they encounter refugees from the colony that's been taken over to be turned into the solar ray. Wow. Oh, right on. So they actually expand upon um, solar, the ray, col- yeah. solar ray or the colony laser or whatever they want to call it. But yeah, that's right. It turns out Cusco Al really is a spy. Right. And uh, she gives them some warning about uh, Federation operation. And uh, according to the summary, Mirai takes over as the ship's captain while uh, Bright leaves the ship to uh, track her down and kill her. Wow. Awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. While in the meantime, Amuro fights some more, you know, new type fought cannon fodder. Right. And as we move along... Does Shalia Bull have a bigger part than what he did in the show? According to the summary, he doesn't, but okay. he has a bunch of new type cannon fodder underlings who keep mentioning right. him. Oh, the Monsters of the Week? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like that they... Um, that, that So I guess uh, General Revel's killed in a different way than... Uh, you know, because he wasn't, he probably still gets killed by the solar cannon. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, let's let's see here because we still have. This is uh, at this point where we're at is episode fifty of um, the planned version. We have Amaro setting off for Side Three's Colony Thirty Eight to discover the secret of the solar ray, and Char fights him in a mobile suit called the Garaba, right. which might be mentioned up ahead. What that is, but. Uh, there's, the thing is, in the um, original outline, a lot of the Moomble suits that were going to be introduced later had uh, name swaps. Ooh, huh. So in the outline, the Gelgu was referred to as the Geon. Right. right. So you had all these name swaps of weird names for mobile suits and mobile suits that never existed and yada yada. It says here that Amaro beats up Char and single-handedly destroys the solar ray. Oh my wow. god. And wounded Char goes back to Giran and he realizes it by helping Giran. He not only didn't get revenge on the zombies, but you know, he's helped 
Giran uh, take out the Federation because Giran managed to fire the solar ray and, and destroy the entire Federation fleet. Wow. He bought him the time he needed. Yeah, so he realizes that, uh, oops, made a mistake there. <laughs> I'm sure well, wait a minute. It. In, in the original outline of the show, does the um, RX-78-3 make an appearance, or does he still have the dash 2 throughout the whole show? Still has still has the 2, but with uh, the magnetic coating. Okay, right. And let's see here. So we're now we're getting to the end of the show, and... Amuro decides to go after Giran personally. Right. So the white base heads toward Abawaku uh, by itself. And sort of the same thing of, you know, the white base attacking Abawaku. Mm -hmm. And the Gundam gets defeated by the uh, Jigen. You guys ever seen this thing? I've heard of it, but I, I'm trying to think what it is. I think I've seen It's this dumb-looking, like, Xeon gun tank that, That's that right. uh, was later recycled for... Uh, MSX. Right. It is the dumbest looking thing I've ever seen. Oh yeah. Well, no, that's that's not true because there's some other hideous looking stuff in yeah. MSX. So. Oh, Cunio. Let me uh, let me retract on that. But uh, and don't forget the Zaccarella. Yeah. The Zaccarella. But this thing's pretty stupid looking, especially to think that this thing defeated the Gundam. Yeah. So it gets trashed, and uh, then the rest of the crew go into hand-to-hand -hand combat, breaking into Giran's hideout, and. Uh, Char goes over there as well. Mm -hmm. So the whole crew gets in there. Yeah. Wow. And they're all attacked by Giran's royal guard, and Amaro's the only one to make it there, and he confronts Giran personally and uh, finds out that Giran has set the whole fortress to self-destruct. Oh, man. And then... Uh, Classic form. Amaro shoots Giran and kills him. Amaro does it, huh? I thought I figured it would have been Char that would have done it, but um, wow, that's awesome. Yep. So... Um, then everybody runs out of a Bawaku and he gets to the wreckage of the Gundam and, you know, does the whole same thing, you know, telepathically warning everybody to get the hell out. And um, the white base doesn't get destroyed because they all uh, mm -hmm. they all make it back to the white base and that's how they escape from the fortress. Hmm. And uh, Shar sort of vanishes. So there's no uh, moment where Sela, Shar, and um, Amaro, you know, finally, you know, they, they have that discussion or whatever. They, that's not in the um, finale of the show like it is in the finale of the, um, the way the animated series turned out. Oh, who knows? I mean, this is just sort of a brief synopsis of you know what that uh, outline was so Very true. you know taking that into mind i think that uh you know canceling if that's the way it was going to end i really don't like that at all yeah no, i was about to bit, say that it's a bit less um it's a bit less cerebral and it's also it's, it's got more it, it continues the problems that the show had which is you know monsters of the week yeah yeah Very we true. don't need monsters of the week um you know, that sort of, that ending sort of limits any possibility of the show being continued, which is something that Tamino was famous for. Yeah. He's said in the past that he likes to kill characters at the end of shows so he doesn't have to make sequels. <laughs> he seems to be pretty sequel over. That pretty much would have been the case here. There wouldn't have been much of a basis for Zeta Gundam. No. Very true. And, um... Other things like Lala not being killed by Amuro is a huge difference because I think that's one of the defining moments for his character that, Very true. you know, he liked this girl and so did Char and that, you know, Amuro killed her. I mean, that's I think it's classic when, when the Elmeth blows up and, and he's sitting there in his cockpit crying and he says, uh, I've done something that I can never make right. It's it's like the tragedies of, 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 of myths back in the day. It's 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 just something that really defined his character all, all throughout the rest of the Gunners. Like the myth of King Arthur? Yeah, oh, very boy. true. <laughs> well, the, oh, other, the other thing it, uh, it sounds like, too, is it kind of underscores the desperation of getting out of a bow of coup. Because, yeah. as um, you know, even though that the series was cut short, the television series was cut short, uh, especially the last episode when the, it, the escape from a bow of coup, I mean, it's pretty desperate. And, you know, when you're first watching it, the, you're, you're thinking that I don't know if any of these people are going to make it out, especially a lot of the crew. 
It's, I, and I like the fact I like it better that the fact that Abaku was just being destroyed from all the all the all the fire from um you know just the combined battle that was going on, not somebody setting a switch on a on a timer getting ready to um, yeah. to have it self destruct. Yeah, I mean that seems so it seems so James Bondish. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it just it seems just just played out. But um, I wonder how many of those thought ideas are going to actually end up in um for those who don't know about Gundam the Origin the manga series that's going on right now in Japan. I wonder how many of these ideas will actually cross over into that story. It just makes me wonder. I don't know. Uh, I, have, I haven't kept track of the origin in a long time, so I don't even know yeah. Same here. where they are. But uh, things that I like about the TV show versus this outline, um, I like that Amuro doesn't confront Giren, that he never meets him and doesn't, that they separate sort of the the political people from the military people that Amuro is just a soldier on the battlefield Very true. fighting other soldiers and he doesn't get yep. caught up in that just sounds it just kind of like reminds me of this like like Kira confronting Durandal at the end of Destiny having this whole like having this whole like yeah, speech no with sense. him and trading back and forth philosophic barbs <laughs> so I like Amuro not even meeting Garen not getting anywhere near him and having nothing to do with the collapse of the Zeon leadership yeah it's right. far more real world yeah it's more realistic that way yeah. and um, one of the things I don't like about the TV show in general is just so many monsters of the week yeah you know there's always some pilot who's like oh with this I'll surely take down the Gundam <laughs> I mean the, I think it's most comically illustrated with the Zaccarello which I think has a total of two minutes of screen time and Char's like God. who the hell sent out that thing I didn't even know we had that thing I don't even know what the hell that thing is and he's just really pissed off terrible exactly as ugly as it <laughs> as ugly as that thing is it's such a it's such a bitch to fight in, uh, in the video games I hate fighting that thing just a, it is just a side note <laughs> yeah it does Suck. I can't stand the gimmicky stuff like uh, the core fighter and the core blocks. Yeah, you know all the doing all that in midair, transforming and yada yada. Yeah, and of course, don't even get me started on that disgusting G fighter. <laughs> I really hate how they introduced this horrible gimmick, and um, you know it's like, oh, we have to go out with the G bull, we have to go out with the G fighter, yada yada. When by the end of the episode, they always have to end up using the Gundam anyway. Of course. Yeah. So what was the point? this stupid gimmicky thing waste of resources and the other thing that bothered me about that too was um, you know they, they sit here they, and they create the most advanced weapon the, the RX-78 but then as support vehicles for it you know they, they use basically the leftover parts <laughs> didn't make too much sense and then, like you said, they always needed the uh, the Gundam at the end. It was just, yeah, it was that, just. That's brutal. why. That's why I like the supplemental series, since you know they actually show that in those series they actually made. They were making other Gundams and whatnot too, and you know it kind of enriches the universe. Because I, I kind of found it unrealistic that okay, they only have one Gundam, but they got the plans to make others. And it's like, why not make another one? Why not have, try another suit? Why not have like in one episode a rival pilot of a Gundam who's you know said to be better than Amuro, and it shows, so it turns out that he gets shown up because he's not nearly as good. Like t further on in the series you know something like that and um well the thing is that back in we have to keep in mind that you know even though gundam pretty much single-handedly created the real robot genre it was still mm -hmm. tied to the super robot genre in many ways such as you know yeah. amuro's dad being the creator yeah of the gundam oh, yeah. the hero team being three mecha very true mm -hmm. so one of those staples of the all super robot shows was that uh you know the hero's mecha was unique yep. yeah there yeah, was the one, one and only and brightly colored mecha you know yeah it's good that you know the supplementals you know the oavs have added more yeah but we have to keep in mind in the mindset of 1979 you didn't have that yeah. very true so even though gundam broke a lot of barriers there were still some things it couldn't do and that was that was one of them at the time i do like that the fact that it created the you know real robot genre 
you know, robots as military weapons rather than, you know, things sent by evil space empires or built by mad scientists and that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, I liked the characterization of Amuro as a guy who wasn't, you know, one of these like eager, hot-blooded robot pilots, but, right. you know, and other guys like Kai who, you know, was a self-admitted coward. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not your typical set of uh, robot pilots for the time. How you had development of you know, even secondary characters like Kai and, and all of that. And, and you know, the and whole thing was Sela and Char and mm-hmm. Bright developing into a captain. The way the battles were done. Yeah. Right. You know, some use of, of strategy. The needing of salt in the one episode. Yeah, the needing of salt. Uh, you, yeah, the kidding. quest for salt. You figure they just go to some rundown supermarket and grab some Mrs. Dash. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, and of course, you know, the, the whole political subtext of mm-hmm. how you have the Zavis constantly jockeying for political power for their own benefit mm-hmm. to the very obvious detriment of the war effort as a whole because, it, yeah, you know, exactly. the Zavis working together in unison they won. and not infighting each other, they would have put up against the, the Federation because, I mean, you got stuff like if Makuve had helped Ramba Rawl and not just abandoned him because he was a dick, uh, Ramba Rawl with Rickdoms probably could have just totally destroyed the white base. Oh, God. Ramba, oh, yeah. Ramba Rawl would have put a bow on it. <laughs> the whole situation. I mean, yeah, exactly. he, almost, he almost took it over with just handguns and grenades and, and whatnot with, with, with men without suits. It's like that. You got to give that man a lot of credit. He tried. But if he had support from Makuve, it, it would have been over. Yeah, so imagine Ramba Raw with, with uh, domes. I can't believe I, I think I just said Rick domes a second ago. But imagine Ramba Raw with a couple of domes. Yeah, that it would have been over. It yeah. would have been. You have things like that. Moving on to the movie series, what are uh, some of the things that you guys liked about those? Well, to begin with, um, mm-hmm. the, the change of events. Some of the events happened uh, in different, you know, a different order than, uh, than what happened in the show. Yeah. Uh, especially with, like, what was it, Matilda's death was was before Odessa? I believe so. And yeah. then it was it was Well, her her Odessa anyway. But what they did was yeah. they sandwiched her death in between Rambaral right. and uh Ryu. Yeah, That's so right. Ryu was still around during the time yeah. where she died. Yeah, they moved Hamon getting revenge to after the encounter with uh, the Black Tri-Stars whereas in the TV show it was the next episode right after Rambaral died. Jeez. Which I thought was kind of lame when they did it because it was sort of the exact same thing as way back in the Garma arc and you had him dying in the next episode you had Isolina going to get revenge, and then Isolina died, yeah. and this was sort of a repeat of that. Which I'm glad they took out the movie. Thank God for that. Yeah, that's true. They how, did take that out. How the too. heck did that even happen? How does Isolina, the daughter of um, some mayor, <laughs> the resistance, yeah, like the resistance get, guy, inspire these men to actually take up arms against the white base? Well, not in, not in the movies and in the TV shows. That's in the origin. That's in the origin. Yeah. Very true. Oh, that's right. I forgot. And it's a completely different series in the origin, too. I love the fact that it's in Hollywood in the origin, but that's just a side note. But um, yeah. I just don't know how she could actually just get these guys to just rally against the white base after the white base already totaled, you know, whatever forces they already had left. It's just, it was just, it was a waste of time to me. At least she had a fittingly bleak death. You know, she tries to shoot Amaro, slips, and then just falls to her death. Oh, yeah. God. What a, <laughs> yep. what a punctuation mark to that episode, though. I, I do give it that credit for that, at least. Well, I mean, everything with the movies, the first movie's pretty much the same. It's when you start getting to the second movie that you get a lot of the changes when they get down to... Um, Missing Odessa. Yeah. yeah. When they get down to uh, Jabril and they actually trade out the gun tank. Oh, because no. even though the gun tank is the most awesome mobile suit ever, retired, um, it had to get retired because it made no sense having the, the gun tank in space. Um, and then that's when you also get the you know much to Chris's um, you know enjoyment the the loss of the G fighter. 
uh, oh. to the core, core boosters, boosters, which made a lot more sense to have uh, a fighter. Uh, that And th- that is one of those things where, um, you know, and, and like you said, back in 1979, when they're they're doing this, they're, they're defi- they didn't really know that they were making a, a whole new genre of of uh, mecha anime. But you know, with that super robot feel, with having the G fighter in there, having and it never made sense why they wouldn't have normal fighters on the white base as it was. So you get the core boosters. Um, then uh, basically, pretty much uh, everything's kind of the same. You get what is it? You get introduced to some new characters. Um, you know, like they brought in some characters from the novel and movie yeah. three, like Cecilia Irene and uh, mm-hmm. Darcia Bakaroff. Yeah, uh, that 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 was another one of the differences. Um, in movie three, you have the whole Texas battle being moved to before. Solomon, because in the TV show they went after Solomon to do like a cleanup, yeah, right. and then it got moved to before, and obviously uh, the whole get of jail free card for Makuve. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Until if you count um Shar's um Shar's deleted affair. Yeah, <laughs> he got that. He, he he lost that card just as quickly in Shar's deleted affair. Well, that was quick. <laughs> that was uncharacteristically brave of him to do that. But we'll get to we'll get to Shar's deleted affair some other day. You know, and, though he went out like a champ. Though I gotta say, in that book, I, I give him credit for that. Not but champ. <laughs> Anything else, uh, Paul, about the the movie that you like? I, I like the end where you get to see the uh, you get to see the Zeon. I think it was a, a Zanzibar that flies off, and you can see that Shar's on there. Um, Guazi. Or Guazi. Guazi. I'm sorry, yeah. I was trying to remember what ship it was. The Great Escape. Yeah. So you you get kind of the confirmation uh, that he did escape, and you know, and, and it makes sense because you know Shar was so good at scheming. Um, now. The movie also had did the I'm I'm trying to remember because I haven't seen both of them in a while, but the talk between Cassilia and Char is in the movie and not in the series, or is it in both? It's in the series. I know that much. It's in it's in both. Okay, I was just remembering. I can't remember the movie. So, all right, yeah, that's pretty much it. Um, it you know it flowed a little bit better. Um, you know the battles lo- were great. Uh, the 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 complete loss of the super robot. Um. Yeah, the super robot formula was nice to see with the mm-hmm. addition of the core boosters and then Hayato getting a, a gun cannon and, um, you know, making it, showing it that, you know, at least the gun cannons were probably getting mass produced uh, along with the GMs. But uh, much better flow, uh, like the way that it works. Um, you know, if I'm putting it against this television series, uh, I'm going to go with the movies uh, before the television series, but, you know, still both uh, good representations of, of the overall story. So, yeah, for, for me, the, you know, they're both great products, but I think the, the movies are the definitive version. Yeah. You know, they, there's all of the great new animation at the end movie three, and it, it obviously sticks out and you can see that they put their, their money into that for the time in the eighties. Very true. You get the exploration of the new type concept much earlier on. That's true. I mean, they're mentioning as far back as when uh, they first meet Matilda on earth. Whereas in the TV show, the whole new type thing isn't mentioned until like the last six episodes, and it really just comes out of left field entirely. Like, what the hell are they <laughs> talking about? What is it? And then it just gets really weird. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, was a, a great change. Uh, dumping the super robot stuff with all of the crappy mobile suits and mobile armors. Yeah. Dumping the G-Fighter, even though there actually there is one shot 
in movie three where you still see the G fighter. Really? Yeah, when the uh, core booster is crashing mm -hmm. and Sayla jumps out of it and she's like floating into a Bawaku. Right. As she's floating in, you see like the nose of the G fighter there in the background. They they forgot to fix that one scene. Oh, no. <laughs> That's awesome. But you don't know what the hell it is if you're just watching the movies. It's like, well, what is that stupid thing sitting there? Uh, <laughs> but anyway, you know, the exploration of the new types, uh, the way that they combined several episodes worth of battles into larger scale battles. Uh, the new music that they added. Yeah. So right. overall, I think that it's it's the definitive version. Uh, Sobro, your thoughts on the movies versus the TV show? Well, you guys pretty much hit all the nails in the head. I, I, the the thing I love about the movies is um the the, the introduction of the the kind of the the much smoother introduction of the new type, mm -hmm. um and and the concept behind it. Um, other than that, uh, if I had to introduce uh, Mobile Suit Gundam to most um, avid anime watchers, I would introduce the t um, the movie for I would introduce the movies over the TV show. But if if it's someone who's not used to watching subtitled anime, because that's the only way the movies out is out here, I would probably show them the show. And if they liked it, I would continue to show them the show until it was done. Um, but which like what I did with my my friend um, Shoji Ramuro not too long ago, I, I showed him the entire show. And as as much as much as he found a lot of the um, the the the, the kind of antiquated things that are in it funny um when you know, we we enjoy I, I enjoyed watching it with him and he enjoyed watching it too at the end he would kind of curse me for not showing him the the movies but i didn't have them so i need to get on that <laughs> but for them well i've introduced a lot of people to uh yeah. the series via the movies and and that seemed to be the yeah better route to go because even for me i, I watched both recently myself right and even for me, going through the entire TV show is, is a little bit of a... Uh, it's an endeavor, if anything. It's, yeah. it's a bit of an endeavor, a bit of a task, you know, just sitting through episode after episode, Monster of the Week, and yeah. mid-air transformation, and docking this and docking that. So even for someone like me, if it's, if, it's if it's a task for someone like me, <laughs> I can't imagine what it's like for, for someone, someone who's really not a devoted fan. follower. Yeah. Very true, and you raise a very good point there. But um, yeah, if I had to introduce it to most people, it'd be the movies. I'd have mm -hmm. to say, the movies by far stand out as... Uh, perfected version and they segue a lot better in the Zeta Gundam than the TV show does yeah so I mean that, that's also important yeah actually they seg segue good into uh, Stardust Memory Stardust Memory true yeah, yeah. And, and for me as, as a closing comment I mean I know a lot of people when it comes to watching MSG they're hesitant about uh, you know the old animations I would say you know please don't don't be prejudiced and you know, if, if you can't watch something that's older than 2000, well, that's that's your own problem and you're missing out on something that's yeah. really good. And, you know, if if you can't, mm -hmm. even if you can't watch that or if you do watch it and you like it or if you don't want to watch it, at least explore one of the alternatives like uh, the novel trilogy or the origin. Right. Yeah. You know, what little of it was published in English because they're interpretations as well so if you haven't seen it by now please watch it somehow excellent exactly yeah and um, I'm sorry for not talking about Char but we'll save him for another episode because that's a whole discussion right there because <laughs> you know, I know we've, we've been yeah. had on our list to do uh, a whole Char segment so we'll, we'll give him his time in the spotlight at some point indeed I think he's had enough but we'll give he's him more. Had enough. well we haven't well we, we've talked about the you know the Char spa so we got to talk about the man himself he's not all that <laughs> Oh, dang, man. I'm sorry. And the Char phone. Oh, yeah. God. Char phone. Will. The yeah. Char phone. Thank you. And they had the, what was it? They had the official Quattro Vagina glasses there. <laughs> like, I think that was like a year and a half ago. And don't nice, nice $300 pair of glasses. And don't forget the Hayokashiki's PlayStation 2. Yes. Oh, my God. The Hayokashiki PlayStation Ooh. 2. Man. The Char GameCube. I got to so. stop. 
Yeah, he's. <laughs> That's enough product placement for, for Shara Reasonable. So, indeed. Uh, with that, we'll be wrapping up this segment. And of course, in the next episode, we'll be continuing with a look at Zeta Gundam. We'll be doing the Gundam Roundup every episode until we finish with um, all of the Gundam or until Double O starts, whichever comes first. We'll be back soon with some more of Gundam at MAHQ. Don't talk down to me like I'm a kid. I totally dig being on my own. Plus, I can eat all the pizza I want. Didn't I tell you for years to go easy on the pizza? And don't tell me that's all you're eating every day. God, you're pathetic, you know that? Please don't talk to me like you're my mom. You're not the maternal... That's enough. Look, you better explain this. I don't give a goddamn about your personal life. Start talking. I swear, when he stole the um, the Mark II in San Francisco, oh, God. I was hoping he'd get the beatdown of his life. He should have. Well, you know what's funny is, the <laughs> yeah. thing with Katz is that, you know, Camille was kind of like that in the beginning, like very impulsive and kind of reckless, but mm-hmm. he learned his lessons and he grew up and sort of was a mentor for Katz himself. But throughout the entire yeah. series, Katz never learned that lesson. He never learned it. He was just he an was arrogant, invincible. reckless little dumbass and then when the end came for him well um yeah it wasn't even ceremonious it was like it was matter of fact i don't recall where i read this but the thing that somebody I... said that you know when Cots died he forgot that he wasn't the main character oh that's appropriate <laughs> yeah well the, the problem that i had is they always seemed like they were tougher on camille when he was doing those stupid little things than they were with Cots. it seemed yeah oh well he's just Cots. Cots is Cots. it's no big deal it's like, you know, Br- Bright's beating up dudes on the bridge and stuff, mm-hmm. and but he would never do anything with Katz. Even Katz. Or even Wong. You never, you never saw, you know, Katz get his ass kicked to set him on the right path, because it did for Camille. Yeah. Gundam. Next episode, Who Will Survive? Suddenly, there was a terrible roar all around us, and the sky was full of what looked like huge bats, all swooping and screeching and diving around the car. And a voice was screaming, Holy, Holy Jesus, Jesus what, what are these goddamn animals? Welcome back, everybody, to Gundam at MHQ. This is one of your hosts, Neo, and that was getting to the end of episode 13, in which we covered uh, the first uh, four episodes of Macross Frontier, which has debuted now, taking the kind of taking the place on the review front for Double O uh, for uh, for us here at Gundam for a while. Uh, the second topic that we covered was some of the greatest. Um, greatest captains in mecha anime mm-hmm. and finishing up with a new series that is going to be in conjunction you know, not in conjunction but it's a kind of a new ongoing series like anime spotlight that we're calling gundam roundup where we basically just kind of do our thoughts and takes of the different gundam series i and movies uh with this first installment being mobile suit gundam the both the television show and the movies so um that's about it on this front uh we'll be getting back to you guys on episode 14 which will be based on the explanation at the beginning of the episode here we'll be hitting the double o reviews for the last four episodes plus with the halftime show but before that any closing thoughts soul bro or chris or closing news or anything any mecha talk or any mhq that related stuff well uh for mhq we got you know, previously announced some some new setting in uh mm-hmm. the near future we're gonna have uh gasaraki finally 
uh, <laughs> anime reviews. That's only been how long? I've heard people. I've been on your site for for I think as long as it's been around, and I've always I always heard people. When are you gonna do Gasaraki? Well, I was gonna do it for years, but I just have so much stuff to do, and that show will require so much effort that yeah. I just uh, yeah. don't have time for it. So I pass the baton over to Brian. Uh, our resident reviewer who, you know, he did Idian and Escaflone and NL games, so he's experienced. He, he's going to handle that. Um, we have a new reviewer who hails from all the way over from Saudi Arabia who's going to be doing Full Metal Panic for us. Wow. Nice. That's the other show that everybody's been clamoring for, too. Yeah, I really need to sit down and watch that show finally. Yeah. Um, I. I also wanted to I, I want to apologize to one of our female listeners, um, Casilia. I, I I made what did I you made, do? I made a wild remark a couple episodes ago that Admin Sugar was the only female listener we had. Oh. I, I got to give a big I have a I have to congratulate Casilia for becoming uh, for earning her doctorate. Congratulations to you! And on top of that, thank you for listening to us. And she's definitely one of she's definitely one of our favorite female listeners of Gundam. Is this going to be? A re- is this? Will this become a reoccurring uh, uh, episode or reoccurring oh. segment to Soul Bros? Oh, uh, the handing out to of the female listeners. Because <laughs> after this episode gets released, you'll get you know I don't know somebody else, some other person. I'm I'm a female listener too. Oh man! Next well, episode, I have to say I'm so sorry for you? saying that these two girls are the only female listeners, and now SBRs Rose yeah. of, Rose of Gundam. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a new segment. Uh, Soul Girls' apologies to women. Yes, oh, nice, nice. I'm, I, I've got much, much apologies to give out. There. <laughs> but also, send, I just sent ladies send all comments to. But we'll lim- we'll limit your apologies to Gundam related stuff. Gundam yes. related stuff. That'll be nice. Yes. But um, also, I'd like to thank all the listeners for their support and their um their feedback. And you can always send us feedback either at the um the forums at mechatalk.net or by email at uh, Gundam M A H Q at gmail.com and um also i'd like to just let the listeners know that you've been clamoring for um for us to get into the discussion of gunpla and merchandise and whatnot it's and coming we'll, be, we'll definitely be starting that around episode 15 so um give us give us give us some time the, look forward to 14 and then 15 we'll have something related to models or merchandise in that episode we promise <laughs> that'll be that'll be uh bandai's favorite segment of oh, the show man. It'd be the one where they say, well, you know what? Maybe we shouldn't give these guys a cease and desist order for this. Because <laughs> they're talking about what we like the most. Hey, man. Making money for us. But People really think we're on the take with them by then. <laughs> I wish. Well, ben, ben, ben I knows where they can send the checks. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> I'm not that hard to find. But that's all that'll be. All right. I will sell my soul for anything. Okay. <laughs> well, now well, that is on the table. <laughs> that's just on. I'm just putting it on the table for anybody. Yes, and, and uh, any potential, yeah, any potential uh, uh, sponsors, you know where to find us because, like you've just heard, we'll sell our souls. Nice. But um, yeah, that's we'll advertise anything. Yes. <laughs> Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> you gonna send us a T-shirt, Bandai? No, we advertise your whole line. Yes. <laughs> You give me some. You give me some hideous T-shirt, but you you'll pay me five bucks a you know an hour. Nice, yeah, thanks. I sold my soul to corporate America as a crappy T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> They'll give you like an old double Zeta T-shirt oh, from 1988. Oh, I'll take that. You guys can have that one. <laughs> With the uh, what, what, what was one of the real bad mobile suits in that one? <laughs> 
<laughs> we got a whole warehouse full of these. We just never understood why this suit didn't take off. <laughs> but is that all, guys? Yeah, I'll, I'll, all right. I'm out. That's all for me. And uh, myself, yep. Any questions, feedback, or anything, just hit us up on the uh, Mecha Talk forums or uh, through the websites and emails that Silver had talked about. But um, that's it for episode 13. And we'll be back with episode 14 shortly. And that's it this time. Uh, you're listening to Gundam at MAHQ, and we'll see you later. Nobody likes to admit their own mistakes due to the folly of their youth. But MAHQ is a Shinjuku station, an MAHQ production. I've been there deep in the shit, and it is no picnic. <laughs> <laughs>